Ryan A. Hello, I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And welcome to the Lack of Focus podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of Lack of Focus. I am your host for this episode, Ed, alongside me tonight, my good friend, Mr. Sean Dorsey. Sean, how are you doing, my friend? Good, Ed. How are you doing? I'm really good. And, of course, our producer extraordinaire, one Mr. Chris Sheriff. Chris, how are you doing, my friend? Good, thanks, Ed. Good. And in today's episode, one that I've been looking forward to for quite some time, what do you look for in a tabletop role-playing game? That's right. We're going to go away a little bit from the miniatures games and some of the other games that we all know that we play. We're going to discuss probably the big pink elephant in the room. Some Dungeons and Dragons is going to get in there, but there's a whole plethora of other role-playing games out there. And what do you look for in a game when you're trying to get into it? But before we go into that, let's talk about what we've been doing in gaming lately. And as usual, I will kick that ball over to Sean because we know that Chris is going to carry the segment. Chris, so, Sean, what have you been up to lately? Um, not a whole, whole, whole lot as far as gaming goes. Um, a lot of arcade gaming, um, a lot of Anything NFL... Up? NFL Blitz. That's. I was just gonna say, is that the one that's been the uh, the dominant one? Um, no, that's that's one that my friend of mine came over and and we played for about three hours. Um, we were doing kind of the, you know, screw the other guy over type thing, and like he would pick my team one game, I'd pick his, and then we'd pick our own, and then by you know just kind of make it a little more challenging, things like that. It just dawned on me. I don't know what your team is, Sean. Um, growing up, so I'm not a gigantic NFL fan, so just sure, bear, bear sure. with that, that for a minute. And I knew I live, that. I live in Nebraska. We really don't have an NFL team. So all of my teams that I've followed have been by proxy. Um, normally, if you're in Nebraska, your team is like the Chiefs, or if you're in Western Nebraska, you'd be a Broncos fan, but I don't fall into that narrative. Um my team why, grown, why would you <laughs> right the the team i started growing up with um was the redskins because oh, yeah. well it, my aunt lived in dc and she would send me redskins gear and i've been to a redskins uh preseason game i kind of like the seahawks for a little while i've been to a seahawks preseason game before um but the team that i kind of have always kind of held true to were the saints. And um, That's a good my, my, my oldest brother has lived in Louisiana most of his life. So, you know, having, having a connection with somebody who's, you know, there and stuff always helped, but really as an adult, I really could care less about the NFL. I'll watch like highlights and stuff here and there, but I like watching the videos on YouTube on how bad the referees are in the NFL now. <laughs> I'll, I'll give the, I'll give the NFL credit. They've been doing these little short 15 minute recaps of the games. I absolutely love those on Monday to be able to go because obviously like it's in for me, I have a team in my city that I will watch, which I'm sacrificing watching. They're currently losing to the Dolphins as we as we speak on Sunday night football because my poor Steelers are in a rebuilding year. Um, but I love having those little 15 minute jaunts of going across the NFL, just to be able to see how things are going and applause. Um, my second favorite team, this is a stupid story. My second favorite team is the, would be the saints uh, for a couple of reasons. First, a, they do have the, the fleur de lis as their symbol, which 
my dear sisters of battle have adopted as their symbol as well. But secondly, one of my favorite players, one of the only players that I ever genuinely met in person when I was a kid, when my grandfather was getting me into football, was a player by the name of Louis Lips. And he was a wide receiver for the Steelers for a long time in the 80s. And then whenever he left the Steelers, he went to go play for the Saints. So Saints, I just yep. followed him there. Yep. Um, and, and I've dabbled with the old, old, old Buccaneers, you know, the really bad when they when they were the the orange, you know, that those were the Buccaneers that I liked. And when they when they changed uniforms and all that, they just kind of there wasn't anything there for me, you know, on that. So I don't know. They kind of um, had a they had a corner of my heart for a little bit whenever they were a defense only oriented team and they had players like Warren Sapp on their team. I, I, I kind of like that. The problem I have now is, of course, the, the Bucks are tainted because they have the Brady stink all over them. They've won a Super Bowl with him. Still waiting for that man to just get hit and just turn into powder at one point in time. But it's not happening. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to think what else I've done. Um, I haven't really done a whole, whole lot. It's, it's a really busy week with work. And then, um, you know, other than that, it's still working on getting the arcade set up. I got NBA Jam to build. And then I oh, pretty much love, love that game. And then I'm done as done as far as machines, which means tonight before the show didn't before the show tonight, I was downstairs and I was looking at the arcade and the way it's set up and decided, well, I'm going to move two machines to make room for the NBA jam. So it's next to blitz. And so the, the four deck controller, they're next to each other and stuff. Is so, it is it the uh, tournament edition or is it the, so it's the NBA Jam. It's what I call the bastardized NBA Jam, because when Arcade One Up, you know, is is redoing these games, they don't hold the same license that they did way back when. You know, like the original NBA Jam when it came out, whatever year it was, actually had Michael Jordan in it. Yep. But he pulled himself out of it pretty quickly. So when they reprinted or did whatever they do with cabinets, they he was no longer in the cabinets. It was Pippin and whoever Horace, else. Horace Grant, because that was yeah. my, that was my team for that. And I distinctly remember because by the time they got the port to come over to consoles, when it was on like the Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, yep. it was Jordan even was more on, different. Yeah, yeah, Jordan it was, was already different. out by that. And and Jordan like was then in a, on the in the UK, Jordan was in my copy on the uh, Super Nintendo, and it was on the Mega Drive. And the reason why that is, but remember, that's a different style of license because you're not in the USA. So they're making a game for UK licensure. So wait, does that mean I now have to play the PAL version of NBA Jam on the the Mega Drive? Oh, I've got my Raspberry Pi upstairs. I just fired it up today for other reasons. I will check that out because that means (laughs) because I've never got to play Jordan on that team. I'm sure it's Jordan Pippen for the Bulls on NBA Jam. All right. Now I'm checking. You buy uh, I don't think I'm going crazy. No, I think you're correct. I, I don't remember who the second player was. It when... was Pippin. Yeah. I definitely remember Pippin because he's a hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> um so so when they when they when Arcade One Up redid these games like NFL Blitz, they don't have all the same names in NFL Blitz like they did because because the player names, you know, it's all in the MB or the NFL licensing and then it's the same thing with NBA Jam. If people don't want their name and likeness in the current game, they won't exist in that game. 
You have been fact-checked, Chris, and you are 100% correct. I am looking at screenshots from the Mega Drive version, from the PAL version, uh, with Jordan and Pippin on there. And, of course, they go back and having it as... I'm sorry, it was... Uh, wasn't it wasn't Horace Grant? It was uh, Armstrong. What was his first name? God, I can't remember. BJ. It was BJ Armstrong. BJ Armstrong. Thank you from that team is who they put in instead of instead of Jordan. So it was Pippen and Armstrong. So I'll be the, damn. Now I'm gonna go play some Pal version NBA Jam tonight. So That's why wouldn't you just play the Bulls and we'll just win? It's easy. Well, I did play the Bulls when I played that game. It just I didn't have access to Jordan at the time. I was playing with. I liked Horace Grant because I thought it was cool that he had the. Yeah, is that not like playing on hard mode though? Yeah, and I still won. It was great. So I had great Jordan, game. so I play on easy mode. Yeah, and his stats are like through the roof, as they should be. Sorry, sorry we, complete, we completely hijacked your NBA team. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm I'm actually looking up. So it's the NBA Jam. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can find the games. Um, it's NBA Jam. Uh, it doesn't have it. But it's the NBA Jams, the NBA Jam Tournament Edition. Yeah, that's, that's an, like an, what there's three three versions of it. Definitive yeah. version. Yeah, there's three versions of it that are on the game. It's like uh, NFL Blitz is NFL Blitz, the original one, and it's like 2000 and like 2001 or something like that. Um, you know, so it, it'll be close to what you know everybody you know everybody knows. Uh, here we go, product details. NBA Jam, NBA Jam Tournament Edition, and NBA Hang Time are the ones that are on the cabinet. So that's the last cabinet I got to build. And once I get it put together, I'll have to move two cabinets to be able to put it up and stuff just because it's just like any arcade. You're always going to be moving stuff around. But this is literally the last cabinet that has to be built. Once it's done, then I'll paint after that, which sounds stupid, but I'm going to actually paint the arcade black. And then do all my lighting for the arcade. And then, but before I do all that, I'll probably take a, a walk around video because the way, it, literally, I fit 20 games in a 16 by 8 space with the two pinball machines is overflow. So there's 18 games or 18 cabinets, we'll call it, in a 16 by 8 foot space. And so it's it's it'll be pretty interesting, but I'll take a video of it and send it to you guys so you guys can see what it looks like when it's done. Then I'll turn all the lights off, turn everything on so you can get the arcade feel and everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's actually been fun to do, frustrating to do. Um, now once because like what I'm trying not to do is go down there and play a lot right now until it's done. <laughs> that's tough because it's it's yes because it's not really an arcade until it's done when i can turn the lights off and you know i have rope lighting that goes along the base because there's a platform you have to step up on because i build a platform in my basement and then i'm going to have the purple black light or like string oh, light yeah. you know string lights um from the I got them at, you know, the store for the Halloween season. You get the purple or they're, they call them purple, but they're really black light lights. Yep. That'll go around. So LED lights for that. So you'll get the whole feel. And then I have a 3D effects machine that I have to figure out how to use it, but I got to, I got to hang it still. But basically it's got four ones. They're light ones. And then it spins like a fan. It spins really fast. But then it looks like a 3D effect. So whatever yeah, it's showing. Yeah. So I have one of those. I have some uh, some other LED lights. Once I get everything set up, I'll put them around the 
that game's big machine and then i'll put them in the doorway coming in and then just some other stuff i'm going to do for lighting effects and stuff just to make it feel more like an arcade and then so that's pretty much my whole week of of doing stuff is i went over to my friend chris's house and we played he bought an at games legends ultimate um so we played for about three hours over at his house so we kind of switched back and forth i played some project zomboid not a lot but a little bit of project zomboid and uh just kind of waiting to get some stuff done in the upstairs with my son moving home my living room and dining room are kind of a mess still so once once we get his stuff figured out then we'll build the next calac shelf which will be for our model side basically so in the dining room we'll have a gigantic painting area basically and then we'll have the calac shelves with all the it's it'll still have board games and stuff on it too because i got a ton of board games that'll overflow onto it but it'll it'll be there and then it'll you know kind of have a a painting space um to do it and then i just have to set up an airbrush um my airbrush system so then i can start airbrushing too while we do it so beyond that that's about it for for this uh this show's flight deck for me still called a flight deck too Sean, you be proud of me. Um, I was at the Retro Game Shop uh, this past weekend. Uh, I'll get into the reasons why, but I had all three of my kids with me at the three of my youngest kids. My oldest was at work. Um, I don't know that I still consider him a quote unquote kid at this juncture. But point being, I had my three youngest with me when I went to the Retro Game Shop um, and we sat down. Uh, He has something similar to what you have set up. He has an arcade set up in the Retro Game Shop. He's got about 25 cabinets in there from the at games kind of genre of the mini versions of the cabinets. And one of my all-time favorite games uh, is the Ninja Turtles arcade game. And me and my three kids beat that game. It kind of helps whenever you can just hit a button and keep getting all the lives that you need. to be able Yeah, to get yeah. I mean, that's, that's the key. One thing my friend Chris and I do is, like, what he'll do is he'll keep track of, of how many quarters, you know, in air quotes, quarters that he puts mm-hmm. in to beat the game. Um and, and I'll do it once the arcade's done. I'll, I'll sit down and do it, too. But what I'll probably do is when I play arcade games is I'll probably put, like, $5 in the cup every time I go down to play. So I basically have $5. And I'll play it like the old Space City thing where I get 40 uh, tokens. Instead of yeah. getting 20, I get 40 tokens. And then, of course, Dragon's Lair will cost two because that's what it costs and stuff. So I can kind of build up a little savings account by going down to my own arcade and playing. You know, it's kind of like the swear jar, but for arcades. Yeah, exactly. My point being is I'd never beaten that game. Like, because of, and I was telling my kids that as we were playing the game, like, this is the furthest I've ever been in the game. Like, because the first couple of scenes in that game, I think there's five uh, five scenes, six scenes total. Um, The first couple of scenes I'd gotten through and played, like, Chad and I definitely had gotten all the way to the end of scene three before, like, on one quarter, no less. Um, but once we got past that, I had no memory whatsoever of that game because I'd never gotten that far. So it was really kind of neat for me to be like, this is what must be what we like in, in Sean's basement. It's just me with all three of my kids wrapped around the same counter or wrapped around the same cabinet, bashing away on numbers. Like the kids were complaining like, oh man, my wrist hurts. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you've got arcade wrist. Yeah. <laughs> That's what 
playing those games back then. You're used to just doing it with your thumbs. You actually really had to physically get in there and play those games. But yep. that was a lot of fun. Yeah, the right. to, really quick, I'm trying to look. Um, which one did you play? Was uh, it, it was Turtles in Time. No, it was the original Turtles arcade game. Okay, because it's not. So, I don't see it on their website anymore. I don't know if it was an Ant Games or if it was someone else. No, no, no. It's it's an arcade one up. It'll be an arcade one up. Yeah, I was going to say arcade one up was the next one I was going to go to. It was definitely a mini cabinet, um, but it was. I mean, he had it on the stand, so like the kids could still play it, but. It was yeah. oodles of fun. So I totally, totally get it now. And he did a lot of the same things that you did. Like there was a Pac-Man machine that I almost was drawn to as soon as I walked in the door, but I was there for other reasons. Um, I had, you know, he's got the, he had the Star Wars one set up. He had the Centipede one set up. He had Golden Tea set up. He had Dragon Slayer set up. That was the one that caught my eye right away. I'm like, ooh, Dragon Slayer. Um, but the kids were all like, oh, is there anything that we can play together? And I'm like, ooh turtles everyone here now and we literally from beginning to end i mean it took us probably about a half hour to get through it but we beat the whole game it was awesome yeah and that's one i think you can get at i think you can get at um walmart i think that that's the walmart version but i i don't remember exactly it, it had what looked to me the correct artwork on the side too so but yeah. in any case yeah that was a ton of fun so for me, I have kind of in the same camp with Sean. I've had a lot of series of unfortunate events as far as my schedule has been concerned. I've had a lot of, I think I talked about this before, but I work about 45 minutes to an hour away from my home. So Tuesday nights is the miniatures game night at the store. And if there is for whatever reason, a reason that I need to be in the office on a Tuesday, by the time I get home, get changed, get dressed, eat, it's like 6.30 going on 7 o'clock. Even if I make the trip to the store then, by the time I got there, got a game set up, it'd be almost time to pack up and go home again. So usually it's kind of a wash. And I've had that happen every day for the, every for both weeks of this week. And it's about to get kind of worse from that perspective. Um, I mentioned to Sean in the uh, warm-up show, uh, I have a new junior developer starting to work for me uh, starting Monday morning. Um, my pace of employment is still a little archaic on their work from home policy and have elected to say that he needs to be on site every day for the next six weeks before they will allow him to work from home, which means as his minder, his preceptor, his, his mentor, I too must be on site every day for the next six weeks. And I'm not going to lie. Like I don't, it's I'm not concerned anymore about the COVID side of it. Like that, fear has kind of subsided getting it and getting over it and no one in my family like having any obscene effect or like horrible effects from it have kind of like washed that away from me i don't want to get it again so it's not a um, it's not a covid side of it it's the i've spent the last two years only going to work three days a week two days at home i've genuinely become accustomed to the how much gas am i how much gas am i burning to be able to get there and back all the time you know there's two days during the week that I could stay up just a little bit later because I can sleep in a little bit longer and that that's all going away for the next six weeks. Um, so unfortunately what it does is that puts me in a position from a tabletop perspective that I'm not gonna be able to make it to the store for probably the next six weeks. I and mean, if you do the math that comes out to almost mid December. So by that point in time, like maybe I'll get one more session in before the Christmas holiday hits. And then I'm probably not going to be able to get back into the store until, until 2023, which is really, really depressing. Um, but what I've told myself is that doesn't mean just because you can't play on the tabletop doesn't mean there's stuff that you can't do in the hobby. I pulled all my paints back out. I am going to get my sisters done. It gives me six to eight weeks to be able to at least try to get most 
those the grounder ground and pound and the retributors and maybe maybe i'll get finished um on more more involved i don't want to set too lofty of goals what i do want to say is any girl that is in the black and red armor i want to try to be able to get done in the next eight weeks so that's what i've told myself i've got 15 of them that are halfway done i just need to finish the other half and then move on forward i also had a um from a retro video game perspective, I had an Xbox 360 basically fall into my lap. Um, somebody was giving one away for free that needed a little TLC. They weren't sure what was wrong with it. Um, I've never owned an Xbox. This is my very, very first uh, entry into the Microsoft hobby. I, I will freely admit I have been a PlayStation fanboy since the PS1. Um, and nothing about the Xbox ever genuinely... Uh, attracted me to it. I missed the entire seventh generation when it was the dominant machine. So quite literally, it went for me, from my personal history, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 being the number one selling console of all time. Um, seventh generation rolls around. I've got kids. I've got a Wii at home and we play Wii Bowling to the PS4. So I legitimately missed the heyday of Microsoft's Xbox and 360. So to have one kind of just fall one into my lap that needed some work, cool basically what it was there were two remotes the two remotes needed to be corrected which is the reason why it didn't start up they didn't try the physical button because i was really trying to like well if i just push the button it turns on so what's the problem oh i can't get the remotes to pair so i did a little bit of research and got those all working so legitimately ended up with the ps yeah, um an xbox 360 and about 10 games for free that literally fell into the lap well now that you've got that now ed's got to do the ed thing i need to do some research so the interesting part with that, that particular generation of the games, um, Xbox didn't have a ton of exclusive titles. And the ones that they did are like $2 games. So there are a lot of great games on the 360. I don't, I, I don't want to disparage it. Like a lot of the cool ones, your Mass Effects are on there. You have your, every one of the Assassin's Creed's, you have your Dead Spaces, you have all of those, but those franchises were cross-platform, which means I already have them here in my in my ps3 collection so i don't need to go and get any of those games so what that left me down with was your halos which are two to three dollar games each your gears of war one two and three two dollar games each and then the fable series which i know he didn't have at the store there so i'm just gonna maybe over time maybe pick those up there again they're not that they're not that expensive Fable's really good i've heard so i've heard now so i'm pretty going to treat this what this did inadvertently has basically completed the seventh generation of gaming for me. We have a Wii with that. I have a curated list of about 25 or 30 games. I don't want any more for that. I've got all the ones that I want. I obviously have the PS3 and now I have the 360. And I'm pretty much, that's probably going to fall into the same category as the Wii for me, where I'm going to curate that about 25, maybe tops games and then that's it because that's everything else i've got on the ps3 but there i've I, i've I, it's something new and of course one of the games that came with it was the sims 3 and i haven't really been able to touch this uh the the 360 because my youngest daughter who i has an affinity for older games has spent all of her time on 360 this weekend playing the sims 3 like so much so to the point like i had to set a monitor up for her because everyone else wanted to play PS5 or something else. Somebody want to watch TV, so I just set a monitor for her with no speakers, mind you, and she sat down, has played hours and hours and hours of The Sims 3 on a little monitor on our dining room table. So that's it. So I've made a I've made a goal for myself, getting some sisters painted. Uh, luckily for me, I did the one thing that I promised. I've 
screwed up in the past when building a new army. All of my stuff is primed, Zenithal highlighted, and ready for paint. I did all of that in the good warm months here in northern, here in western Pennsylvania because it is going to start getting cold, and priming in the cold is basically impossible if you're doing the old metal can method. You can do it if you have, um, if you do airbrush and you have like the ventilation system like Sean's got set up, um, but for us mere mortals and us are us us mere plebeians that we are if you're doing the old rattle can method of of priming your models you do not want to do it when the temperatures drop below 45 degrees so luckily for me i had some foresight on that and all of my stuff is primed and ready to go i just need to start putting paint to model i did technically paint my daughter's fingernails today so i did put paint on something this past weekend if that counts for anything probably not so that's it. That's all I've got. Oh, and then because it's Halloween, I should probably should mention I, every Halloween I do the same thing every year. Um, I run a, another playthrough through the game of Alien Isolation, one of my favorite series games. And I'm restarting the Silent Hill um, quadrilogy from PS1 to PS2. The original uh, Team Silent, the ones that created the original, like they've had other Silent Hill games and Konami finally, finally has pulled their head out of their ass and has decided to go back to that franchise instead of making Plachinko machines or whatever the hell Konami's been doing for the last 10 years. Um, announced over this past weekend that they will be going back to Silent Hill. They're going to be doing a Silent Hill 2 remake, um, which is fantastic. A brand new Silent Hill game, a new Silent Hill movie. There's all kinds of stuff coming out for Silent Hill. So that definitely, like, as a Halloween tradition for me, is to play through those four games, uh, one on the PS1, two, three, and four, uh, on the PS2, so my hope is to have that completed by Halloween. I'm almost done with P uh, Silent Hill 2, so that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Good effort. A lot of video games, I know. I'm sorry. It's not all the tabletop stuff that I want to be doing. I partially want to, like, bug Chris and say, hey, any chance we can get a D&D &D campaign started? I've got a an eight-week dry window of not really being able to do much of anything else but sitting on my butt playing video games. We could... Uh... Probably not a D and D campaign, but we could probably do something. I might have to buy if you're free. I don't want to pressure you. Anyway, uh -huh. the person the person who intends to carry this uh, this segment because they actually do gaming, Chris, what have you been up to lately? Uh, nothing, man. Nothing. No, no painting, no games. Nothing. Not a thing. Uh, huh? that, that that's a lie. Um, what do you want first? Do you want painting? Do you want games? Do you want books I've read? You know, Dealer's got it choice. all, man. I've got it all. Dealer's choice. I do need a couple of good suggestions for books since I now have one, two, uh, another 16 days of traveling to and from work that I wasn't intending. So uh, I may run dry on my audiobooks. Well, I've got a tip for you, Ed. You could probably read up on some Horace Heresy stuff. All right. I did my best. For those if those who do not pick up the reference on Heresy Cast, we just recently completed the show that covered Horace Heresy. I did preface this show by saying that there is a lot of detail there that I wasn't going to be able to get into. Chris is a little bit pissed, rightfully so, <laughs> that I didn't play, pay Sanguinius all of the honors that I should have. I didn't go into oh. the... The minutia you know that, of why you know he Alpharius went to... is, you know, Alpharius doesn't go to Ayaterra, nor because Dawn kills him. Oh, that was the uh, other you, one. It was, to, was, it, was, it, though? What, was it, though? Was it Alpharius or was it Omega? But the, was it? The, but I at least got the detail right. The fact that they didn't, that the, um, that they, they did not go to the Eye of Terra because they're kind uh, of just. I was also surprised that you missed, um, uh, that Russ killed at least one of the two erased Primarchs. 
Because um, all of all of the, um, in, the intimations in the entirety of that, because like, no one knows what happened to him, but it's like heavily intimated that Russ is the Emperor's executioner and the Space Int- Legion. Uh, it, Prospero isn't the intimated, but not confirmed. It, I mean, it's, the it's, only it, thing that right. isn't confirmed is which one. Uh, it definitely murdered one of them. You you are talking about. And again, I keep saying I keep saying the generic number of eighty. I think it's legitimately like eighty-eight, if I'm not mistaken. Someone can correct me on the number of books that are in the Horus Heresy series. There is no way I was going to be able to condense all of the minutia that is in all of that material to cover that. You are correct. There are there were things that I skipped over a hundred percent. I do not deny that. I tried to hit the high points to show the progression of the story. Because again, this is over a course of about 10 years of Imperial history. So when you're talking in spans of M1, M2, M4, M, like we're talking like tr- we're condensing 10 years worth of history into an hour long of content. Um, I'm probably going to have to do the same thing whenever we get to the uh, um, Age of Apostasy and the Ecclesiarchy. I did kind of put some of those Easter eggs in there towards the end on where that's going to go. Um, I'm probably going to go dive in deep into that because, well, I'm going to dive deep into it. I'm going to have to because it's easily the second second or third most important event in Imperial history. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what I'm, I'm reading, uh, reading, listening to. You used to go, um, right, I, I got into this debate with some. Do you still consider it reading? The argument no, that I got, not, not, no, argue, I, not it, argue, the debate that I got with someone is that someone had said that there's been studies before that people that hear information and read it by text, you retain it more by reading your text. And I said, I vehemently disagree. I said, everybody learns at their own level. Some people are due by learning. Some people are better watching something happen as opposed to some people are better at reading. So legitimately, I, I, I get that there were studies that said that reading at the text is, more, is better. I still consider it reading. Like, I, I don't consider no, I, so... it... Factually, it's not reading. Agreed. Yeah? But, but you use the, the same, same term way, that I do. Yeah. Like I said, um, I don't consider it a lesser form of consuming the content. Me neither. In the same way that, like, watching a movie is not going to the theatre. Like, they, right. are diff- they are physically different activities. Like, but the you're still getting is the different. same... But you're still yeah. getting the same content. But like, is, is watching Hamilton on Disney Plus the same as going to a theater to watch Hamilton. Even close. Yeah. So that's so, what I mean. I'm sorry to say I've seen I've seen it in person. Unfortunately we did not get the original cast here in in Pittsburgh, but it was still a fantastic show. It's not the same watching it on Disney Plus. It's not. That's what I mean. I, I, reading a book is different to listening to a book. I'm not so I I don't here's here's, here's my question for you guys because this is where I kind of have weird issues with listening to books compared to reading the comprehension of the book. Is it as good when you're listening or better when you're reading it? That's something that only you would be able to answer for yourself. Cause I, I definitely find myself, especially at the moment where my head's all over the place. I'll like, I'll have to skip back and re-listen to something. Yeah. That, that I, happens I, to I, me a lot. Yeah. Whereas then, I have almost the exact opposite problem. Like I've legitimately, I think I told this story on the show, like where I was supposed to go and pick up groceries and, or go and pick something up at a store and I completely blow by the story because I'm so engrossed in the story. Like all right, everyone, all right, first of all, I am doing this driving. I do recognize that there are some dangers in that, but everyone knows everyone has the same, I hope the same phenomenon where your brain goes into autopilot, where 
you're thinking about something, you're listening to a song, you're, you're whatever it is you're doing while you're driving, and then boom, you've traveled 15 miles and you don't know how you necessarily got there. You don't remember the mile for mile trip that you took, but you know that you did it correctly because you're still there safely. Like you didn't crash into a busload of kids and just keep going like that didn't happen. So that's what happens with my brain is that I'm listening to the story and my brain because I take the same trip every single day. Like there's no new tur- twists or turns. So like my brain kind of is on autopilot. So I feel like I get really engrossed in what I'm listening to. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. I, it's one of those. I, I anyway, I, I at the minute I'm listening to um, I finished Fulgrim, so I'm now on. Oh, to... that's a good one. That's what I... you're doing. You're doing your reread of the entire Horace Heresy, aren't you? Yeah, so I'm on Descent of Angels, and that that's that's a hard one. Um, I, I'm <laughs> a Dark Angels fan, and they didn't give it to Gav Thorpe, and it made me sad. And or Aaron Dembski Bowden, and that the yeah. So I once I'm past this one, I'll be a lot happier. But, and for, yeah. I will freely admit that Aaron Dunsky Bowden has a slight, slight lean more towards the, the more towards chaos than he does in writing his Imperium. Just he just wrote that. the Sanguinius book. I heard it was good. It's fucking more. Oh, I told you, man, I cried. Yeah, I heard moved it. To, I was moved to tears. I heard it was good, so maybe he's gotten some, you know, accepted some criticism and, and has moved on. Traditionally, in the past, in his older books, I definitely feel that he writes Chaos better than he writes Imperium. That's the only criticism. He's a fantastic writer. I don't play. I think, don't don't mistake me in saying that he's not. I mean, what early Imperium books are you talking about? I can't well, even. Descent of Angels are. is probably a good start. No, no, that wasn't him. That's what I'm saying. Descent oh, of Angels, um, it didn't do many. And the rumor I heard is that he didn't finish Descent of Angels. Um, from what oh. I understand, Graham McNeil finished Descent of Angels um, because it was just not going anywhere and the deadline was getting closer and closer and closer. So for as an example... He's not, um, he's not even credited. It's uh, Michael no. Scallion. Yeah. Um, from what I understand... Right, I've got maybe 90 minutes left of the book and the the it's still talking about the that the emperor hasn't arrived on Caliban yet. <laughs> so the main character's got to become a space marine and like go to the stars and have something happen. And all of that happens in like 20 pages at the end which I believe Graham McNeil wrote. That's the which rumor is- I heard. Which is why I said, like, there's just simply no way I'm going to be able to get all of that level of minutia into it whenever they take that long for some of the stories. There was there there was a time in my belief where GW was padding their stats a little with the Horus Heresy series. I do recognize that all the books, for the most part, take place during that particular time period. I think if you were to map out the the main storyline i i think there are some books in that series that you could easily skip yeah i don't i mean i don't mind it like even like full the problem is i'm at a lull at the moment of books that i'm not going to enjoy and i know because it goes full grim descent of angels mechanicum and legion i think mechanicum's really good legion i didn't really really enjoy mechanicum's really good that was the Um, last one i think I i remember reading like in actual like you sh- what, anyway it's a recommendation for you ed what you should do is just jump straight to the siege of terror because that's there's only one more book to go in that and it's only like four or five books series so that should be your next one um because yeah, i mean 
I want to know, and I did I did talk about this on Heresy Cast. If you want to hear it, I want to know what the real story is. I want to know who it is that I'm sure that they might tell the story from that guy's perspective. Whoever it is that horrors. I also obl- I think you're confused here. So I think that what you're thinking of is the lone guardsman who faces down Angron or something like that in the it- uh, retreat to the um, the Eternity Gates. Are you um, sure this Angron? Are you like? And again, maybe I might be mistaken. It's been a bit since I've heard this story, but my understanding was that something showed the Emperor that Horus was irredeemable. And I it think was... it's that he walks in on him, choking the life out of Sanguinius when Sanguinius is refusing to fight him. I, 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 and again, I could be wrong in my recollection because it's not happened yet. Um, but I, like I said, I swear, I swear, I have heard this story. Oh, now I want to know. We'll have to look it up. What, what, anyway, anyway, that's not the. So, Chris, really quick, because I think my brain shut off. Which book were you talking about that you just read? Um, so I'm currently reading Descent of Angels, which is the um, the Dark Angels book for um, of the first so of the Dark Angels books in the so whole that's, horror that's, series. That's that's book six of the Horus Heresy series. Yeah. Correct. And I keep okay. jokingly saying it's 80 books. It's really 54. Yeah, um, so, um, and then the Grenad- Age of Terror comes in. Okay. Uh, Grenadier Elias Pierce stands against Angron. Against Angron? Yeah. Um, at the fall of the Eternity Spaceport. That's not even on the Vengeful Spirit, then. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're just getting... There's a lot of... As we said, there's a lot of story. And like, you could be 100% correct. But I don't believe in the um like from second edition onwards that um the emperor took any guardsmen onto the vengeful spirit it was imperial fists custodies dawn um sanguinius and sanguinius. the biggie um but anyway uh, the other thing i've read i actually read this one i ordered the uh, darth maul sons of daphomir or son of daphomir Ooh. comic because obviously i'm painting my legion uh, stuff and that's got like Gar Saxon and Rook cast in there, and Darth Maul, obviously. So I read that last night. Uh, it arrived yesterday, and I would like to say I sat down on my reading chair for light on a cup of tea and read it, but um, I was actually parenting, like trying to read it, and like, Ayla was crying, and I'm like, oh. um, so yeah. it, it was a struggle to get there. I think it took me about two hours to read this like four issue run. Um, I, I've got it in the collected edition, obviously. Um, yeah. I didn't get, I didn't track down all four issues, but it's like a, a really short, short thing. The, tra- but, the trade um, paperback, they say in the trade. Yeah, yeah, that's the words. Words are hard. Um, but yeah, that was cool. Um, I enjoyed that. It was very action packed. It's definitely a fifteen-year-old like, boy, um, you oh, know, yeah. comic book, Darth Maul fighting stuff, and Palpatine's there, and D- Grievous and Dooku, and he's like, "Yeah, I get it." Oh and, yeah. And it's like the, it's weird because I, I was looking at the comic, and there's like there's a bit where the Jedi are there, and it's like Obi Wan Kenobi, um, Mace Windu, um, Ayla Sakura, and then someone who I don't recognize. So okay, we'll go and fight them all. I'm like, oh man, this ain't gonna end well for you, person. I don't know. No, it's not. I've never seen you before. You're not going to make it out of this one. Yeah, never seen you before. Never going to see you again because Maul's going to stop you. Did they put a red? Sh- did they put a red shirt on her to make it like completely obvious? 
Uh, she does have red skin, but you know, whatever. There, there you go. That's just as good as a red shirt. Yeah. Um, but that was cool. Um, then gameplay wise, what have I done? I've played. Uh, since we last recorded, I've played. Okay, buckle yourselves in, folks. Um, we finished our Arkham Horror camp, uh, campaign, so we played a one-shot of The Blob That Ate Everything, which is like um, a 50s B-movie kind of awesome. uh, scenario, which is just like a giant blob that just, like, thing, and like, part of a scenario. Uh, like one of the... Some of the cards that come from the Mephos deck, which is all the bad stuff happening to you, is um, like you take a test and if you fail, the blob eats something and you've got to draw two tokens from the bag and um, it will tell you, you reference the, the rule book for the scenario and it will tell you what the blob eats. It's like your cell phone. So you've <laughs> got to put your phone underneath a blob card or it's like the sleeve that your character card is sleeved on or your character card, you need to use something else for your character now. Oh, like yeah. Oh, so it like breaks the fourth wall of the game. Yeah. That's freaking so, awesome. At first, I was like, "Oh, your cell phone. Oh, that's an item in the game." Like, no, wait, this is no, no. Your physical, yeah, your physical your cell physical, phone. That's awesome. <laughs> um, that's really cool. It was a fun scenario. We were so close um, to winning, but we uh, we failed that one. I think we've got a pretty good record of winning the campaigns. But losing the one shots we do as a palette cleanser in between. And like part of it is we always try a new character. So you're always like trying to get to grips with a new deck and you know what I mean? So there's that there's that as a part of it. But yeah, we just have really bad um I'm not saying look, but we are on a bad streak when it comes to those um one off scenarios. Um Okay, so that's Arkham. Then I've played um, at least two games of 40k. Did I told speak to about Renegade Knights and playing against that yet right, on the no, show. I don't think you talked about it on the show. You did talk about it in chat. Yeah. So I played um, a game of 40k against Aiden and his Renegade Chaos Knights. Having never played against Chaos Knights, that was always going to be interesting. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I've got my great unclean one. It's a 15 power level model and it's got 22 wounds. And he's like, yeah, I've got my chaos knight. It's a 24 wound model and it's got power, uh, power level Every, 22. All the guns, all the guns. So I think I got uh, first turn and I managed to get an extraordinarily lucky charge off of my great unclean one. And he barreled into one of his smaller knights and I did 26 wounds to it. And I like, just annihilated it off the table. I'm like, yes, I'm so fucking good at the game. And then his knight, his big knight walked over, shot its magma cannon thing at my great unclean one, and I failed my save. I was like, it's okay. I've got command points. I'll do a command reroll and reroll. And I failed my save again. And it's like, okay, take 12 wounds. And I'm like, holy shit, that hurt. And yeah. then he charges in, and I'm like, yeah, I'm dead. Um, it just like absolutely eviscerated me. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> so that that one night went around killing every model in my army. I managed to drag down all of the smaller knights. But luckily, killing each other's army wasn't the mission. And then when we, when we added up mission points, I won eighty to twenty. So yeah, and that's okay. one of the things. I again, I'm I, I I'm not entirely sure how happy I am about. It. There is a big GW announcement coming in April of 2023. Everyone is theorizing. To be the announcement of 10th edition. Uh, I listened and, to you guys already and I vehemently disagree. Do you think that it's time for a change already? Well, I don't know that it's time for a change. Time for a change is irrelevant. I would be happy still playing 2nd edition. 
This is true. But that's not what happens. It's not. So it's not. It's get just, a like, grip. I, I feel like ninth edition is just due to the timing of its release in 2020. Do you the- like do you like ninth edition existing? Yes, yes, yes. I do. So, I, I, so you'd like probably. Games Workshop to continue existing. So for that to happen, they need to be able to reset the edition so that people buy stuff. I think uh, no, you know uh, I do, do think this. Want- I think that Chris is absolutely 100% correct. I used to think differently, but when you look at the models and business models and the schemes that they have to put together today, models don't, I I think models are part of the engine that drives the company. But when you're looking at a company surviving, it has to come in the publishing side. It has to, it has to come in the box sets and the publishing well, that's why, like, everyone's talking about, like, oh, they love to see Games Workshop go completely digital. I'm like, they're not going to cut half they're, of their wallet. They're not going to do that. Never going to do that. Unless they it's charge not... you to purchase. A large portion of it as well is that, like, there are things wrong with the game. And whilst you could say, oh, well, you just patch it. How big was X-Wing's FAQ at the end? Yeah. 30-some like, pages? 40 yeah, pages? Like, something so like that? how many pages is the correct number of pages before you're ready for a new edition? To me, one. You know, they should never get past one. Uh, and I, we can check how many pages yeah. are on, but I probably more than one already. Like, yeah. Well, if you, so, that's so what's just the, the FAQ. If you take the um, balance data in, in, in account with that and count that as a basically errata. Um, I'm a big fan of that. the last one that just went, yeah, those other ones don't count if you play in Mechanicum. So, so let, me, let me throw something out to you, Ed, real quick. So... As a new person getting into to 40K, right? You know, I'm brand new to the game, you know, haven't played much, have a lot of stuff, but really not a lot of stuff when you compare it to other people. Mm-hmm. But when you look at in today's digital world, you're they're already battling against digital anyway when it comes yeah, and to... They, and they have been for years. And yes, I, I do the, get the, that. The, the torrent sites, the... The army builder, you know, the battle scribe army builder and all of those things. There's a site that I go to when I, you know, to be able to pull up data slates and all of that type of stuff. You know, really, you don't ever have to buy anything. If you get right into it, you don't ever have to buy a book if you don't want to. But if you want to support the company and keep the company going, that's when you buy the books and buy and all I, of that I still do. I have all of my codices over there. I go the extra mile and get the books because I feel like the stratagems gets a little bit more difficult whenever you remember what stratagem you're using. If you don't have a physical card in front of you to be able to like, Oh yeah, this is something I can do. Some people are capable of memorizing that shit and having it all stuck in their head. I, for whatever reason, because oh, the stratagem, it's there's so much out there. I genuinely forget I, the, those helpful little hints are there are, are great. I'm not disagreeing with that. I guess the only thing that I'm disagreeing with is the timing of it. I don't feel that three years specifically with ninth edition um, was a fair enough run for it uh, due well, to the pandemic. Well, alternatively, and- what about Ed that we let ninth edition run, have another run and it goes for seven years, but then I decide to buy in in six and a half years. So I only get six months. Right. All right. Like, do that, I do I get to complain that I've it didn't have a good enough run? And that is a fair admittedly when I started like, really getting into did, the game. Did, G, did GW get get to not have to pay the bills in those uh, two years no. that the pandemic was? No, that's oh. not, that's I guess my point is 
So here, here's a great example. Something I totally forgot to mention in my flight deck, but now is probably a good point in time. Um, I just recently got in the mail the last couple of days um, my copy of Heart of Darkness, which is the most recent um, one-off campaign shoot from uh, Free League Games for the Alien RPG. I paid for that probably back in February, and I got it in October. So there's an eight-month lead time. Now, admittedly, I'm not suggesting that Games Workshop go back to the thing where they're only producing like two to three codices a year like they were doing in fifth edition. That's not what I'm suggesting. But there's got to be a, a, a line of gradation between the fire hose of content that we get every month, new codex every month, new, new this, new this, new this every month, and fifth edition where it was a codex, you know, three codexes a year and that's it. No new models, just three codexes a year. There's got to be somewhere in between. And the life cycle of an edition only being approximately three, three and a half years feels a little bit short. That's this all this is saying. one of those things that I really like about being a friend. Because so, don't, you can, if you want to take offense to this, it's fine. It's not a problem. I don't think um, I've ever taken offense to anything you've ever said. I, you freely admit that like Warhammer 40k grabbed your attention again. It brought you back in. You're really enjoying the game. You're loving what it is. You don't want it to change. Like Games Workshop did such a good job, but you don't trust them to keep doing yes! a good job. <laughs> exactly. So like, like, this feels <laughs> like a you problem. This is a you problem, not a Games Workshop problem. Yeah, it might be. It might be. Like, that is a, and that's fair. It is a fair pushback. Like, well, I, but I mean, isn't I mean, isn't yes? It's an Ed problem for sure because I don't mind buying the books, and I don't mind, you know. I, oh, I'm going to. I'm, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind joining the game when a new edition comes out. You know, being in the game as a new edition comes out, rather than being in the middle like I was. You know, like, it'd, be, the, it'd be cool because then I'm learning everything from the beginning of the new edition. Like, I get what you what your complaint, Sean, was about all the stratagems and and the complexity that's added like, like that. But and like this is obviously. Harkening back to a heresy cast, it isn't even out yet because I only like, finished <laughs> editing it because of doing it today. Literally, but as it, we're getting started, yeah. finish rendering. Yeah, but um, like the the solutions to it don't actually remove complexity; they just move it around. And mm -hmm. yes, you're right. The skill of forty k a minute isn't just target selection. And uh, like, there's pre-measuring now, so like range control and target selection uh, on the table skills of the game. But oh, man, the resource resource management is part of the game. And, like, so my the second game of 40k I played was against Tau, Um and I charged my demon my um, my plague drones into one of his units of um, bio warriors, and I'd forgotten to declare a charge into both units rather than just one. And they were right next to each other, so I should have gone into both because then I can lock them down and cut down the number of shooting that's going to come back at me. But I didn't, so that was like an on-the-table mistake. And then when he went to withdraw, I don't, I'd left like four models left in the unit. So he went to withdraw them so they could shoot at the drones. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll use cut them down. And because then I'm remembering that cut them down is the number of models in my units, it's only three, and I need to roll sixes. And that's a waste of a command point. Whereas in, like, ten seconds later, he starts declaring shooting, I'm like, well, it'd be really nice if I had the, if I had three command points, because then I could play uh, Disgustingly Resilient... Uh, oh, sorry. 
Yeah, whatever it is. The one that's I can't be winning on Batman a four and also play swarms yep. of flies to give them a minus one to hit as well. And I'm like, if I'd have not wasted the command point earlier, I could have done this thing now. And that like, it is a an interesting part of the game. It is more complex and it is a ball ache having to look through all of those fucking cards and like okay. Like, for me, I have a stack of cards that I lay out that are all my root, my warp storm powers from a demon book. Then mm-hmm. I have my warp rot discipline stuff from Masika. And then one of the command points is that um, I can know all of them. So it's not like I can't, it, I can only get the powers that I use. Because at any point in the game, I could use any. So I need all of those. So I've got like seven cards there, like eight cards for a warp storm. Then I've got all of the command things. And all I do, I look at what my opponent's got. And I just take all of those out, put them aside that aren't going to be relevant in this game, and then go from it. So I, I never use emergency disembarkation. I don't know why it's in my demon box, because demons don't have transports. But it's in it's just one of the cards I take out. It's in there because it is the generic command points that you can spend, so they do yeah. that as a friendly I, I, reminder to everyone. I, 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 I know why it's in there. I don't understand why it's in there. <laughs> or the way around, whichever one you, whichever way is more yeah. appropriate. I, I think I pick up picking up what you're putting down on those. Yeah, um, and it's one of those. It's like it's interesting because the other games I, I've played, Age of Sigma as well, still using my demons. Obviously, it's Magath kind of Nurgle for that, so I have some mortal units, and uh, that's been a big struggle because uh, the complexity of trying to play Path to Glory and that, and there's a bunch of rules well, like, layered on top, and I feel like that's kind of the a, a similar issue to what Sean would talk about there in that like the skill in that game is just you're picking an objective every turn out of um, a stack of objectives so they're not cards they're actually punch out things that you can select from but it's like you score this objective for me it's like if my if if every one of my units applies a contagion token to another unit or a disease point to another unit, then I score the objective. But you can only you can only select it once in the game, and you can only score it once in the game. So you've got to try and at the start of every turn, you've got to figure out which one you're going to do from ones available. But then it's like, well, I don't know what he's got available, and that like it's those different tiers of like for forty k at the moment. I feel like I know how to play Nurgle demons now. I know how my stuff works, I know what I'm doing, I can put my stuff down, I can move it around, I don't really have questions, I can answer your questions. I, that, and that's it, I can't do anything else. That's sufficient know, though. But... It, it is sufficient, I mean, some of that next tier stuff is knowing all the other options that the other armies can do, knowing a little bit more about what they're trying to prevent their objectives, trying to prevent knowing, it's different because you're playing, yeah. not that I'm saying it's the wrong way because it's not crusades a ton of fun but you're playing it in crusade you're not necessarily playing in match play match play gets a little bit easier um in that the objectives are pretty much the same each time it's either four it's either five or six primary objectives you're scoring those on, on each turn except for the first and then everyone's got their secondaries which get announced at the beginning of the game so you know what your opponent is trying to do yeah so in crusade you still have your mission objectives uh, uh, like you have the same like, kind of wording of a progressive objective stuff like that mm-hmm. and then instead of secondaries you have agendas so the agendas I always run because um, why would I ever do anything different is I have 
um, reap, which is keep a tally of how many units each one of my unit kills. The unit that kills the most scores uh, two extra experience at the end of the oh. end of the game. Then I take seed the garden because it's a Nurgle specific one, and that is um, keep a tally of what quarter I kill hey, stuff course, in. Yeah. And then every if a unit every unit a unit kills in a different quarter gives it two XP. So if one oh, of my units cool. kills a unit in every quarter and also killed the most, I would have 10 XP. Which is a good jump for that unit. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, it's, I, I know what I'm doing. It's easy. I, I want to go in, kill something over in your side, kill something in your side. Probably not kill anything in my side, because if I'm still in my side when stuff's dying, I've done it wrong. Yeah, something's gone bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's 40k. I've played two games. Um, I've won both of my games. I beat the Chaos Knights, so I managed to beat the Tau. Um, Tau was dip, was weird, because we only played 25 points, and um, obviously I didn't run my Great on Queen one, and he ran two unit, um, uh, two broadsides. The, the turn he disengaged to basically try and nail my Plague Drones, he had um, 14 Fire Warriors, uh, two broadsides with Plasma, uh, and a, a Shazzle with um, triple fusion blasters and a missile pod. What, uh, uh, a missile what, projector, what, sorry. What flavor of broadsides were those? Were those the railguns or were those the missiles? Railguns. Railgun yeah, broadsides. So yeah. how many wounds do you think he did to my plague drones with all of that shooting? 32. <laughs> There's a lot. Uh, four. Four? Ooh! The broadsides missed everything. Taking into account, I forgot to play. So I messed up my command point usage. So I didn't. I didn't give him swarm of flies for minus one to hit. I only managed to play the um, only wound me on four, four or better. So I took zero wounds from yeah. Took zero wounds from rail guns. Zero wounds from a plasma. Um, Fusion guns um, did four wounds. I think they did five wounds, but one of my models only no. It did. It was funny because he did three and three. With he, he missed with one, did three wounds and three wounds, but that left one of them on one wound, and then the excess wounds are wasted. Yep, exactly. Uh, and none of the none of the pulse carbines or whatever the uh, pulse rifles did anything. So I, at you that point, it really was lucky. Like, yeah, it was just like, okay. Well, that's game then. Like nothing else is relevant now. Yeah, no, because at that point, at that point, you're just gonna be like, all right, and then I charge you and you die. <laughs> That is uh, so I'd already been in combat with him and he disengaged. So like, yeah, it was just horrible. Like, um, oh, no. Where, was um, it? And again, not that we blame dice on, on on this podcast, but was it bad dice? Did he have some really shitty dice rolls? Because even wounding on was boards, ill, it was ill timed. It... it was ill timed dice. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, like he did a bunch of wounds to like everything else, and like thinned everything out and murdered a bunch of stuff but it was just that that one instance it was all bad and then everything else was slightly above average so if you went across his dice across the entire game they would have been average but it doesn't matter yep um you have yeah, those I, games yeah and, i just I, mean, I distinctly remember a game where i was playing good old generic space marines and i had a five-man unit of Thunderhammer Storm Show Terminators coming across the board, getting ready to slam into something, and my opponent fired every single bullet. Every single 
bullet in his army at that five-man Thunderhammer Terminator squad, and I didn't take a single wound. At I bet one you point, didn't shoot las guns at you. That's how you get Terminators. Las gun yeah. to the eyes. It doesn't kill them, but they fall on the back and they're like turtles and can't get up. <laughs> Flashlight to the eye, so we stumble over and then they're stuck. I like, still go, but I, I haven't gotten into the lore and that and the heresy cast side of it, but like legitimately, the, the, the las gun is it, it burns a hole in flesh and steel. It is the single most like if it were a gun today in human society, it would win wars by itself. And it's still only strength three in the 40k universe, and everyone calls them flashlights. No, I mean it was even like like bolter fire, like 22 wounds of bolter fire. One of those is going down. And I remember I was at a, a, a tournament, we were playing in a library. I picked up 22 dice. For those who don't know, Terminators save on a two plus back in those days. There's no AP going off of this, so all I need to do is roll once. Every time I roll a one, that is a dead 40 point model. And I rolled 22 dice all at once, and I didn't roll a single wound, and I yelled really loud. And uh, the T.O. says, I'm glad you're having a great time. Please remember we're in a library. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, like, 22 dice, like, no wounds going through. It was amazing. That, that, that happened to my friend Matt playing Axis and Allies. with. He was attacking me with infantry. He had, like, 30 Russian infantry attacking, like, five German tanks. and he didn't hit once with 30 infantry. This was back in 91, 92 time frame. We were down in New Mexico and we were playing on our, we were TDY and we were playing on a bed and Matt was on one side. I was on the other side and he threw all the dice. Cause I was <laughs> laughing. He threw them at me. <laughs> those happened, are the moments, you know, those those are the moments you game. remember. I, rem yeah. I remember that for the, as long as I live that just, yep. just Picking up 22 dice going, how many are going to live? I'm doing the math in my head. All right, one in six. I should have like two, maybe three left. And maybe I only have one left. You never know. It could be an unlucky dice roll. Rolling 22 dice and not a single one of them was a one. It was amazing. I've seen that Anyway, happen. we hijacked yeah. your segment. My apologies. That's okay. Um, so then I've also been playing Legion, obviously, after uh, as part of reading the comic and stuff. So I was running... Um, Still just doing my um, my Shadow Collective. I kind of been back and forth on... I wanted to run four units of Mandalorians because I can run four units of Mandalorians, but I didn't feel they were rugged enough. So I went back to running three units where you can get the um, like the Mandalorian energy shields, which basically gives them two ablative wounds. They just automatically cancel some hits or crits, and it doesn't matter. That's awesome. Um, so I was running three units of Mandalorian Super Commandos with the Commando Marksman, so the, the longer, the snipery one, which, um, gives you the ability to roll and re-roll extra dice and stuff, which is pretty good. Um, up close and personal, so when you shoot them, if you're at range one to two, you get, um, a dodge token after you fire, and these the shields, so they're like... 120 point units in um, an 800 point game. Got three oh. of them. Then I've got Bosk just walking around, um, just doing Bosk. Doing Bosk. It, it, I love it. I was very, it's weird because I was convinced that it was not going to be good. And then I put him on the table. I was like, you know what? Sometimes the stats on the card don't necessarily matter. 
Uh, so Bosk, um, I think we, we might have gone through. So his attack is range two to four. So we can't shoot you at range one, but it can. It's got a longer than average range. Right, average range is two to three. Um, it's a red dice, which is a, a good dice. It's an eight-sided dice where if you convert um, your fo- like surge focus result kind of thing on the dice, there's only one blank. Very similar mechanics uh, to Armada, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. And then it's four white dice, which have a shit dice. So he's got one good, one good, and four really, really bad. But one of his command cards, uh, which you, uh, I think we said you, to sort out who has priority. You play a command card at the beginning of each turn, and they have a pip in the corner between one and three pips. If whoever's got the lowest number gets first activation. And it's I'd pick a unit, you pick a unit, I pick a unit. So getting able to go like last and first is really good, that kind of thing. The way I always seem to open is Bosk's three pip command card is lying in wait. It gives him a sharpshooter ability, so I'd reduce your cover by one. And then every time you activate a unit, I gain an aim token. Hmm. An aim token lets me re-roll two of my dice. And Being those shitty white ones. Yeah, you can re-roll re-rolls in this game. So I, I can't use one aim token to re-roll the same dice twice, because I've got to select up to two, re-roll them. But if I've got, got two aim tokens, I can keep re-rolling those two dice until I get a result. Oh, good lord. Uh, in three games of doing this, I've only managed to not get five crits once. Oh my god. And that's because I got four crits and a hit, but got greedy because I still had three aim tokens left and was re-rolling to try and get another crit. <laughs> on a white so, die, no? On a white die, yeah. So yeah. uh You are playing a minis game, right? Greed is good, right? That's oh. good. Well, it's, I mean, it, I, it, it was in cover anyway, so that means that it one hit so technically it didn't matter if i if i left it as a hit it was still going away because it was only one hit i had left so i might as well have kept you know it was greedy but it was also irrelevant it was either already a miss or um i fished for that crit but rule yeah of cool, for, my friend. rule of cool <laughs> like the first game i used him he just annihilated a full unit of pikes in one shot like all dead five you've got five <laughs> models they're all dead um the second game I used him, he blew up um, a bike speeder, uh, one of the Republic speeder bikes. Just like, no, so that was right, that was the same game. But I kill in the next one. He murdered the uh, the little droids on the bikes from Phantom Menace at the start when they're landing. The the stab bikers or whatever it is. He annihilated a unit of those. And then in this game, I did, I like wrecked Clan Ren. Um, I did like three wounds, and they're like super tough. Uh, but it just put a bunch of suppression on them. Um, so that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. Um, that was Bosk. Then Gar Saxon was commanding my uh, Man- Mandalorians. I I had been running him with his sniper rifle, and he, I kind of just sneak him around because he has an ability where um if you spend an it you can spend aim tokens to increase his range and stuff like that but i wanted to try him with his flamethrower and kind of keep pace with the mandalorians so i was running him with the flame projector combat shield and up close and personal and um then i had some pikes in the cut 
which is just the Capo and Ten Two units. And I, I, the internet has been telling me that the disruptors are really good because they can like just kill stuff. And I'd not tried them because they're twenty four points each. The unit on its own is forty points, so it's more than half of the cost of a unit again to get an extra model with this gun. Oh, but I, having played it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, I see how it is. Um, so that and it was just really good. Eight activations. Um, the, I was playing uh, disarray for deployment, which you like this one, Ed. Um, so you've got a six by three table, same as like Armada size. Mm-hmm. The bottom left corner, like range one out, range four along, is a blue deployment zone. And then the diagonally opposite corner is the other blue deployment zone. Oh, interesting. And then the red ones are the opposites. So you literally split your armies in half. Yeah, and each each deployment zone has to have at least one unit deployed in it. And then the mission that we're playing is a bombing run. And this is perfect for my army. You pick three units and they all have like a bomb token. And the idea is to go to your opponent's deployment zone, place your bomb on the floor... And then you can detonate one per round, and it like, does damage to stuff within range one of it. But you also score a victory point. So I give it to my three Mandalorians. The Mandalorians and Gersaxon always go together in one of those deployment areas, and the Pikes all sit in the other one. And the Mandalorians just go and drop all the bombs and detonate them whilst they're still stood there because they've got armor and it should all be fine. But um, this game, on my opponent's second activation. He so one of the weaknesses of Shadow Collective that I've found is that it's hard to get good order control. So normally, fight for the droids are the best at this. The way Legion works is you draw a token out of a bag for each each activation, and that you have to um, pick a unit that matches that token. So if you pick a, a core unit or a corpse unit for Legion, you have to activate your troop choice. If you pick an elite unit, you have to activate your elite choice. You don't get any like say in it unless you issue an order, and then you can pick a unit that has an order token next to it already. But for all of the uh, mercenary stuff, they all get bonuses if you don't order them. So it's that kind of balance between trying to get these free bonuses that are like included in the model cost, but you're sacrificing control over what you get to activate. And I just kept drawing my Mandalorians, so I had to use my good units early. So I'd move one of them forwards, and my opponent just jumped straight forwards and shot it. So like, well, I've still got shield. I've got a shield left on this unit, because Leia did an orbital bombardment for her first action and just stripped all of the shields off my Mandalorians. Um, he got seven hits, so I'm like, I've got um, like Terminator armor saves, and um, all four of my models died. I just rolled, yeah, I just rolled blanks. It was like, cool, well, there, there's like a big chunk of my army gone and they drop one of the bombs out of range and stuff. So I was a little bit concerned, but I think the experience of having played that scenario a couple of times with that deployment kind of came through. And um, Gar Saxon hung, hung around and picked up the bomb and then we just kind of advanced. But Bosk helping to put the put the hurt on Quan Ren because of filthy traitors to Mandalore. You know, should follow the true leader Darth Maul while he's got a dark saber. That's that's how we roll in this house. How you're supposed to. 
Um, but yeah, so Legion's been good fun. And it's interesting. Um, I was sitting here trying to actually see like what products are available for Star Wars Legions. I actually had to go to the Asmo Day site because it's not on Fantasy Flight. It's not on Atomic Mass Games. Atomic Mass Games just has, seems to have the rules, but no. Yeah. Uh, did you notice yeah. that they have the Star Wars stuff displayed on the website when you go to Atomic Mass now? I did. I was going. I was going to give them full credit. They did clear yeah. that up. But again, it looks like if you're going to buy, buy anything, you have to go to the Oh, yeah, Asmodee. they, they yeah, all, that's, even yeah. FFG redirects you to Asmodee for the store now. Tell you how long it's been since I've been on the store. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, Legion's been pretty good. So, behind me, you can kind of, the listeners can't because it's not video, but I've got like, a bunch of um, Republic and Separatist stuff that I'm going to do as well. Because um, why not? And some Wookiees and Yoda. I got. Dinjar in and Grogu and uh, IG88 and IG11. So um, I'm I'm having fun with Legion. I've been doing a bunch of painting for that. Um, I painted some pikes, a Darth Maul, um, sorry, a Crimson Warlock, definitely not an unofficial Darth Maul sculpt. Um, so that's been cool. And then the other game I managed to play is um, a little known game. I'm not sure you've heard of it, Ed. It's X Wing. Oh, I've, I've heard of that. I heard it's still yeah. around. I actually played a game of X-Wing as well. It was good. Um, still running I've, Jedi? No, I've been running the Vader list with Vader, Ryad, and so X1 Vader with uh, outmaneuver, um, fire control system, brilliant evasion, and um, advanced optics so that she, he can turn a blank to a hit for focus result. Um, and then Countess Ryad with just out maneuver, then two ISB jingoists with um, contraband cybernetics. So when they do a red maneuver, they can do an action. And then Wampa with elusive, because you want to shoot Wampa to turn his ability off. So again, to re-roll and an evade dice is always good. Um, and I played against Jedi. It was Anakin in the Ada, um, a lot with a bunch of support stuff on it. Um, Mace Windu in um, the CLT Aether Sprite and Barris Orphy in the 7B Aether Sprite. So I had the ship advantage, but three of my ships were TIE Fighters, which he promptly um, uh, destroyed one of my Jingoists. I kind of dared him to put Anakin up, up against him, like, uh, you know, I'm going to shoot Anakin, what are you going to do? It's like, I'm just going to kill one. I'm going to boost out of the arc of one of them to be right in front of the other one, and I'm just going to kill him before he gets fire. What are you going to do about it? So that would be sad. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, it, games with dice, you know, it could have could have gone different. Whatever. But it <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, it, so it was down to four, and I had done some chip damage to Barris. I think I took two shields off her with Vader. And then... Um, I kind of closed the trap a little bit more and went in and covered everywhere Barris could be, but obviously she's a Jedi, so she gets to fine-tune controls and then do a set, another reposition. So he correctly guessed that I'd where Vader was going to be. So Vader uh, missed her in the arc, so he swapped his target lock over to a lot, because it was the only thing I could shoot at. Did a bunch of damage to a lot. Um, Ryad still got some shots and uh, outmaneuvered Barris and got some damage onto her, so she was still going down. Then the next turn, I came in again, and Mace was right in, was covering off Vader. I was like, you know what? I can move my target lock, 
spend force to focus and then link action into a barrel roll and Vader will be stressed but it doesn't matter he's in he's in the mix now fighting like I don't need to do a red move as long as I can do a blue clear it should all be fine and that'll put me range one of uh, Mace and now like he's not going to enjoy that he's already lost a shield um, it'll be fine um, so I roll up shoot Mace get I think it was um hit double focus and a blank I'm like yeah fire control reroll a blank get another blank I'm like you know that. what you know what we're gonna spend the focus to turn the blank to a hit and then spend my last two force to turn the other ones to a hit <laughs> so I got hit 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 crit rolls the dice and I leave them on I get the the crit through but I leave them on one hole and a console fire so even if he burns from the console fire he's still gonna get to shoot back at Vader um and then he just absolutely annihilates Vader. Him and Barrett, I just blank out on all of Vader's defense and Vader's gone. Done. Off the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm now down, like, I think seven points to 11 or something and Vader's dead. And the TIE Fighter's dead. I'm like, ooh, okay, I've not killed a ship yet. But I've got... Um, what mission was this? I don't think we talked about that. Um, chance engagement. So just right. being close to the middle, dogfighting. So I've got half points on Barris. I've got half points on um, Mace. The lat is one hit away from being half points and Anakin's undamaged. And I'm like, I actually feel pretty good about it. Uh, yeah, I would have really, really liked to not lose Vader. Yeah. But like, his entire list, apart from Anakin, is like bleeding. I've got a defender that's undamaged and two TIE fighters left that are both undamaged. So I just keep kind of like herding around the middle, make sure I keep passively picking up the points, shoot whatever he gives me that isn't Anakin. Just keep shooting the other ships, because all I need to do is get like one hit through and it'll die. One hit through and it'll die. Um, so I think I killed everything, and then it was um, Barris, it was Mace and Anakin against my two, uh, my defender and one TIE fighter with one hit left. And all I have to do is score one point. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to, like, there's no 4Ks on the Defender here. I'm going to do a one bank and barrel roll. Because there's no way you're killing a Defender from full to stop me from getting the one point I need to win. So I just parked on the objective. Like, yeah, I'm so good at the game. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and we were talking about it. It's one of those, like, should I have done what I did with Vader or should I have, like, kept him to be alive, basically? I'm like, no, I think it, it would have been nice if I'd have killed Mace. Like, if I kill Mace and Vader lives, the game's done, I think, at that point. Because Barris was on one health, and Mace would have been dead, and I would still have Vader to keep his Anakin honest. So I think the game's over at that point. If I don't kill Mace but Vader lives, I think I'm massively advantaged. If I, you know, if I kill him and I die, I still think it's in my favor. So this is, like, the worst-case scenario of him living me dying. But I still think the fact that I was guaranteed to put at least a crit on his hole, no matter what he rolled, was like, yeah. Because Vader shouldn't die to two shots, even though it's naked dice. He shouldn't die to two shots because he was using naked attack. You know what I mean? So I, I, would, I would take that trade every day of the week, I think. Even knowing the outcome of Mace living on one and Vader dying, I think that that's a worthwhile trade. Because it puts so much pressure on him and puts the ball in my court for like just keeping scoring and stuff like that. But, yeah, trading down to trade up. 
Sometimes you have to make those uh, those tactical decisions. Sometimes it's not just a matter of what points, you know, what points am I buying by putting this in kind of thing. Sometimes it works out that way. Yeah. And that's it. That's everything I've played. Like I say, only like five different game systems or like quite a few <laughs> things. Like I said, I it, Chris, as usual, carries this segment. Uh, I did. Right. Uh, I, I managed to get my laser to temporarily work, so I made some oh, yeah, yeah, uh, some yeah. objective tokens as well. Those are so cool. the these aren't the heresy cast ones. Those are. Um, I need to kind of re redraw that file. I think to get cleaner cuts on the lines that I want. But these ones I made are my uh, my nergly ones. I like those. So, yeah. Uh, so I've been doing that as well. So yeah, it's coming good. <laughs> now, if you could only laser cut dice, hmm. uh, I may. There's a chance. Spoilers. There's a chance. This is like on the download. Don't tell anyone. Just okay. between you and me, Ed. There's a chance it. that I might be discussing with a factory in China, getting some um, dice hate dice made. Ooh. If we have an option, can they have sharp corners, not rounded? But they, uh, the options I've asked for is um, sharp corners with um, printed spots. Oh my god, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, for those and the of you symbol on the sixes, not on the ones. Thank you. So for those of you that don't know much about dice mechanics, one of the things that has been statistically proven is that rounded dice with the dimpled um, pips um, do not roll statistically e uh, even um, due to weight differentials. Gravity is a real thing. And the rounded corners force the dice to roll a little bit more, which is the reason why if you were to go to a casino in Vegas or where you're hell at this point in the U.S., people got casinos everywhere. Um, casino dice are sharped cornered printed pips so that the pips themselves do not affect the roll and the uh with the sharp corners like whatever they land on is what they land on and finding dice at a capable size for 40k in those configurations is extraordinarily difficult to find i've not really found good ones um i found sharp cornered ones all day long but they have the dimpled uh pips so to find ones in those configurations I would be the number one customer for those. I'm not going to lie. I'd be more than happy to own like 60 of those. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in talks. So the other thing that I'm considering developing, it might have to wait a couple of years, I think. I might have to kickstart it because I don't think I can afford to put up any more money because I need money to like, eat and let Jill be off yeah. work. But I want to develop an actual tape measure for gamers. Ooh. Because even the best tape measures that anyone, any game would have is effect, uh, effectively a Home Depot toolbox tape measure. Like they all have the belt clips as if that's a feature. It's like, no, I want it to fit in my case flat. So having the belt clips actually worse. So a number yeah, of tape measures I've like unscrewed the belt clip from and stuff like that. Um, so I've got some I like ideas of like the, the stand flat because obviously that. Generally, a tape measure that is a known width for the actual or length for the actual tape measure, so you can measure from the base. So, like, it would only start measuring at like three inches or whatever. Um, yeah, it's it's a bunch of things, but it's a, we'll see we'll see if I can do it or not. That's a really cool idea. I like that. But anyway, all right. So, is there anything else you want to cover? Um. 
No, I say I've I've been working hard with Velsweiser, and the UV printers arrived, but the ink hasn't arrived yet, so I can't start testing that. The laser's actually broken. Um, I've been, um, I've been like thinking that I'm just shit at making files. I mean, which I may well be yet, but we don't know. Um, I've been fucking around with it for ages, and I finally just contacted support, and I had to take a bunch of pictures, and like, oh, I will just send you a new one because that shouldn't be right. But basically, oh, so anything that you. I cut, yeah, anything I cut on the far left was, was seemed fine, but cutting something on the far right of the way so it wouldn't even get through a paper that covers the, you know, you I, when you peel the tokens, it wasn't yeah. even cutting through a paper on the far right hand side. That's really bizarre. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I was I pulling my hair right, right. Pretty a couple of very stressful nights of, of like, oh great, I spent X amount of money on this, and I, I it's fucking uh, so yeah. But I the new one, yeah. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to start doing more than like these test cuts and things. Teaching myself how to use Adobe Illustrator to actually make files and everything. So I've got a couple of products that I've got for ideas so we'll have to have a, a chat at some other time probably um but yeah hopefully once i get to 10 items that's what that's my line for actually activating the online store and doing all of that next steps for the website so uh-huh. yeah wow keep me posted on that top secret project i really want to see those <laughs> yeah um, all that's, right. that, that's me that's me so that two other flight really... decks are a speciality yeah, a really, really extended flight deck. So I do have a bit of a hard stop in about three minutes because, as I previously mentioned, I'm going to be spending the next six weeks going into physically into the office. I don't know how long this one's going to take, but I do kind of want to get everyone's opinion on this one. I was thinking about this the other day uh, when it comes to the world of tabletop role playing games and what you look for in one of those games. A little bit of history for me, obviously, I, like I'm sure a lot of people my age, um, when they were introduced to the entire concept of what a tabletop role-playing game were most likely introduced to a game called Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I was introduced to it at the, not really first edition, it was whenever the they came out of the white papers into the collection of those box sets and got into the advanced Dungeons and Dragons hardback books, the traditional ones, like the, 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 the guy stealing the gem out of the, the, the statues. I kind, so, of, kind of, so those, those officially are still first edition. So yeah, I know they're first, just like the expanded rules. Yeah. It's yeah. It was when they went from the basic and ex- expert box set to kind of D and D as we know it today. Right. You exactly. Know, that was the, that, that went to the, the hardcore style of D&D, we'll call it. Yeah, so that was my introduction to the game. And for the longest time, for me, tabletop role-playing games always were associated with the fantasy genre. Like, legitimately, when instinctively, when I think of tabletop role-playing games, I think about the fantasy genre. And one of the things I've struggled with over the years is trying to find a good sci-fi one that I really, really like. And I I think that I have one that I like in the, in the travel one, but I haven't had the opportunity to play it much. But I remember going into game stores and going and seeing, oh, there's this other role-playing game called, I don't know, Rifts. And then there was the Steve Jackson GURPS, which is the generic one. Oh, you can do anything you want. And 
I remember getting the books. Like I do have some of the books for those rule sets over there. The the D6 Star Wars one was another one that got me. Um, but because it was probably more into the conversation I want to get into, it was the universe more than anything else that attracted me to the role playing game, and not the other way around. Um, not the the mechanics of the game, and that's what really attracted me. And then I kind of adapted to the the to the universe. So. I wanted to get everyone's intake, uh, input on this and when whatever you're looking for a playing game outside of Dungeons and Dragons. I think we know what we get with that, with the D20 system. Um, five has been really, really good. I know there's talks oh, of... If you don't mind, Sean, if, you don't, if I could jump in as a general caveat, if that's, the, um, if that's the, the conversation you want to have, I think there's something worth saying about D&D 5e before we start then. Sure, sure. And yeah. maybe it is a disservice to a game that I clearly have a lot. No, I, I get, for. I understand why why you would want to have the conversation the way you want to have it. I just think it's worth clarifying a point beforehand. Uh, as someone who works in a game store, if you came in and asked for advice on buying a role-playing game, I would just tell you to get 5e. Because one yeah. of the things you should look for, and everyone should look for when buying a role-playing game, is are you going to have someone to play with? And and five E is, e is guaranteed. Five E is a forty k of role playing games. Uh, if someone comes in and wants, I don't care what the game is. I want to be able to play with tabletop miniatures and find an opponent by forty k. If you want to be able to sit down at a table and play a role playing game by five E, like it doesn't matter. Like literally, you have to suck it up. If it's not like quite the. If you would rather have a percentile system, suck that shit up, buy 5e and play. Because <laughs> having the perfect system that you never play is, you know what I mean? Right. Yep. So that that was my one well, little thing of well, what you I, I think that to add on to that too, it's buy a system that will attract other people to play too. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, Chris's question is very valid. Do you have others? But it's also, can you attract others to play it? You know, that, yeah. that's another thing. Yeah, that's it. That was my one little thing I wanted to make sure we mentioned as part of this conversation. Because sure. I do think that unless you have a group that's going to go along for a ride with you, 5e, just buy it. Yeah. And well, again, it, it, it is a really good role-playing system. I love what they did with 5th edition. Um, for and, uh, If we're going to take it, I will take it. I have followed Dungeons & Dragons from 1st edition to 5th. Fourth edition for me was probably the biggest departure in the game. Hence the reason why they did a recorrect and um, went back to how things used I to I heard a lot of people said at the end of fourth edition when it was about six months away, like, man, I don't even think we're ready. It needs more time to breathe. <laughs> I, knew, I, I knew you were going to agree. All right. Fair pushback, fair argument. My point, I guess, and I have friends, I have friends that started playing Dungeons and Dragons in fourth edition and genuinely, truly, that is the only edition that they cared about. And to this day, in their minds, that's what D&D is, which I feel is a bit of a shame, but I get it. I understand why people enjoyed fourth edition. If you like fourth edition, I'm not shitting in, in your Cheerios here. By all means, please enjoy, continue to enjoy that. So game. I hope as someone who's never played fourth edition, I think we could do a short show at a different time. I'm not going to start it now. But I think I could sell you on why 4th edition is good in a, like, in a, in a separate show. Because I, I, I was, think that uh, there's definitely things that are good about it, but that isn't 100%. the topic tonight. 100%. So, yes, 
I am a gigantic fan of the Dungeons and Dragons fan franchise, have been for years, will continue. I 100% agree with Chris's assessment on that. If you are just looking to play a tabletop role-playing game and genre doesn't matter to you and you're looking for a huge audience to play, there is a reason why it is the number one role-playing game in the world because it is the most popular and is the most easily accessible for all of those reasons. So I will set that golden, maybe pink elephant isn't the right one, that golden elephant over in the corner. Say, yes, you are the champion of this arena. So why don't you let step out of the room and let all the other kids play so that they can get, so they can get their participation trophies at least. So uh, I, it's just, I feel like, and I, will, I will let you continue after this one point. Sorry. Huh. But I feel like there's a level of being disingenuous. If someone comes to you and says, oh, I want to play um, a collectible card game and you go, oh, well, uh, Fire and Blood, it's, yeah, it's pretty good. You should try this. I know, man, you tell them to play, play Magic. You know what I mean? Play Magic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, so, like, it depends, though. Like, legitimately, I've had people who have talked about uh, getting into tabletop playing role-playing games and aren't into fantasy. Like, fantasy isn't their thing. Like, they're more sci-fi people. They're more murder mystery. They're more like, you know, you know, 50s noir kind of thing. Like, they, like that's not a genre that appeals to them. So, ag agreeably, that a vast majority of the audience that is playing Dungeons & Dragons is playing in a fantasy setting. If fantasy isn't your thing, like the swords and sorcery kind of thing isn't your thing, I could see that being off-putting to people. Like, oh, I don't play the game because I don't. I'm not interested in the genre. No, I get. That. I'm like, for me, um, I've got. I'm just gonna rattle them off off the top of my head because I was probably someone I miss. I have anime attack of uh, the anima RPG. I've got the Infinity RPG. I backed the um, sh uh, uh, Blade Runner RPG. Star Wars, Call of Cthulhu, um, I've got Warhammer, Age of Sigma, 40k, um, Alien, um, that's the ones that I could, I, I'm confident that so, I actually own multiple so, products for. So this, for me. this is, this is an interesting conversation for me because, so this shows age difference right here. So, <laughs> so growing up, you know, you didn't have any choice. You had D and D, you know, what was it? Seventy eight, you know, basically D and D came out. So um, in seven in seventy eight, you also had Mark Miller's Traveler. That was the original versions that came. Understood, out for those. but once again, it, you but had you to have right. the game, You had to have the game store that would carry that. You know, I, and, agreed. And mine did not. Right, you know, and a Century Box to, had it. I'm sure they did. <laughs> but the biggest thing is so so when you're looking at it so. I think RPG, when we talk about RPGs, we have to talk about two things. Availability, which is probably the biggest thing. So exposure equaling availability. And then, of course, interest. So growing up, I grew up, you know, in 78, you know, we had, we had, um, seven, let's just say 78 to 85. TSR was the big company that I can recall. You know, I know there were others out there, but TSR, they came out with, they came out with the two box sets of Dungeons and Dragons, and then they came out with the hardback books. Okay. So then you came out with Gamma World in 78, which to me was an amazing world that they never truly developed. And it had editions, seventh edition, all the way up to 2010. You had Star Frontiers, which is your space game that, Ed, that you're talking about. To me, if you were going to play a space game, 
it would be Star Frontiers. And and it's because because it's a D&D in space but not Spelljammer D&D in space. It's yeah, it like literally once again underdeveloped, you know, it was one of those things that they couldn't get, you know, probably enough support for. And I think too, you know, with uh TSR kind of going through the changes, you know, then that then you started out, you know, so in the 90s, that's when what what I remember in the 90s was cyberpunk, you know. Yeah. Now now yeah. you drew, you know, cyberpunk came out and there was a lot of stuff for cyberpunk. And, you know, then you had what West End Games, the Star Wars West End Games. You had everybody, but everybody was trying to piggyback off one game, and that was Dungeons and Dragons. And you're always competing against Dungeons and Dragons because a Dungeons and Dragons it was unbelievably developed, unbelievably well developed. You know, when you look at all the hardback books that came out before third edition came out, you know, you had the first edition books, you had the kind of moving into second edition, and then you had the kits, which started ruining the game because that pushed you into third edition. But they were still cool books to have. But if you started talking, using, are you talking like the the players options and the DMs options? Yeah, the, kind the of fighters, the the fighter handbook, and uh, you know the paladin handbook, fighters, and the cleric handbook, all the handbooks, and they're they're the yeah those books there. Yep, the barbarians handbook. Yeah. Yep. So so you have that in there too, which started taking D and D into another realm, which I think became third edition at some point. And every I'd, game, I'd argue it, that those those player options and DM options are really what moved it to the third edition. Because I remember whenever they did yeah. a re-release of the second edition rules, they did the black cover books. Yep. Um, that they even had a little note, a, a forward at the beginning. This is not D and D third edition. It's yeah. just a re. It's just a reimagining or, or a, a reclarification, well, taking all the FAQs, peeling that sec- into those. The second edition came out. It added the skills. You know, it added more yes. to what first the proficiencies. Edition yeah. Um, you know, and really D and D kind of at that time is doing what games workshop did, you know, you're kind of developing the game along and now here's another edition with these extras. And then when you went to third edition, it was actually kind of a gameplay change in a way, you know, it was big. It was huge. Yeah. Because and, in, and the I, past, I, in, pre, in previous versions of, uh, in first and second edition, it was all theater of the mind. Like mm-hmm. it was cool having the graph paper map to show you which way the dungeon went or which way the caves went kind of thing. Right. But they didn't have rules mechanics built into the game that were strictly based on, Oh, you can do a five foot step and move in one square over where they actually showed you for me. So there was a kind of a double-edged sword for me because it, brought the game more onto a mat where there were gridded squares and you have the dry erase markers and you can be able to peel those out to be able to see all the stuff on the board. But it also took it more to a miniatures game. The fact that, Oh, I'm going to do five steps here. Like there was mechanics around hard corners and soft corners and things like that. So there was, well, I, I, I think first edition moved into that because it allowed the game to open up, you know, it wasn't just, Mm -hmm a guy with a piece of graph paper that had pre-drawn a dungeon because really Dungeons and Dragons in the beginning was dungeons. You know, there was no overland adventures. And as you got into it, you know, you had, you had the books that came out, you know, and I don't remember them all, but you had the oh, overland. Dungeoneer yeah, survival guide. Yep, you had the Oriental adventures. Yep. Uh, what else we got? Wilderness survival guide. Yep. The wilderness survival guide was the overland adventure, you know, 
I am, of course, and, looking at those from the books that are sitting on the shelf, just to on the same page. Yeah, and I don't. Mine are in my bedroom, not out here, so I can't go through all of mine. And but that's that's where to me role playing changed. Now I know that there's another whole genre of role playing that existed during that time. You know, there was the roll twenty system. There was another yeah. one. There was another can we, one. Can we well, hit on a, that real quick uh, for yeah. the for the roll twenty and the d twenty system? Because you had mentioned um, what was it? Star Frontiers was the one, and I do remember picking up, and I think I still have it. I'll have to go and take a look over there. Um, picking up the the core rule books for the Star Frontiers, and the problem that I bumped into, and maybe this is probably again probably an Ed problem. I'm not entirely sure, but it was still the same system. It was still this, it was still D and D and there was a part of oh, me that it was, it, it was the base. That was the percentile system. Oh, well, okay. So you're talking the old version of, so you're talking, I'm talking the, the 70s. Year, the 1982 yeah, version of star frontiers. I'm talking more 95, 96 when they re-released star frontiers is whenever I gave it a shot. And they basically just took um, third edition Dungeons and Dragons and bolted on a sci-fi uh, universe on top of it. So everything was yep. still D20. So for me, it felt really weird because uh, in and around that time, Wizards of the Coast had had the open license for the D20 system, meaning that anybody could produce a game with the open uh, rule set of the generic D20 system. They still had to play certain royalties to Wizards of the Coast, but you had all of these other companies, companies like um, Paizo, who were producing, and it's important, we'll take note of them here in a minute, um, but other companies like Mongoose Publishing, for example, was doing stuff. There was all of these other smaller publishers that were producing D20-based games that still use the same fundamental mechanics. But in my head, I could never get past the fact that it was still Dungeons & Dragons. Like, while, okay, I'm shooting in an alien with a laser rifle as opposed to uh, an orc with an arrow, the mechanics are exactly the same. And it still felt the same. I always, always struggled with the D20 system that wasn't Dungeons and Dragons because it still felt like Dungeons and Dragons. That's why I wanted to go to, that's why I went to other publishing companies that weren't using the D20 system. So I know Chris had rattled off some of the ones I can look over across the shelves. Like I tried um, the new era of Traveler, for example. I've got, I went into, uh, I did a lot of the uh, White Wolf, uh, Dark World stuff before it was Dark World. So like Vampire the Masquerade, Vampire uh, Dark Ages, Hunter the Reckoning, those kinds of games. Um, I also have uh, Hero Systems. I don't know if anyone's ever touched Hero Systems. I think they're in their ninth or 10th edition of the game right now. Yep. But it's yeah, a very... I played those way back when. Yeah, it's a very generic, you can make it whatever you want it. They actually had one that was more specific towards space, which I picked up the, the source book for that called Star Hero. But it's it's super weird kind of game. And then when we get into Paizo, of course, whenever 4th edition came out and I found out that that was not the edition for D&D for me, I obviously picked up um, all the Pathfinder stuff. But they ended up doing a space one called, you know, um, Starfinder. And mm -hmm. they did the same thing that... Dungeons and Dragons did whenever they did Star Frontiers. A star Star Hero or Starfinder is basically three point five. Pathfinder in space, yeah. Pathfinder in space, and it felt exactly the same to me. I'm like, all right, this isn't really what I was looking for. So I genuinely, truly, sir, I loved, 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 loved D6 Star Wars, but I loved it because it was Star Wars, not necessarily the game system was cool. I liked the game system, but I loved it because it was Star Wars. So I've genuinely, truly struggled trying to find a good sci-fi one, and while I love so, the Alien game, I love it for what it is for the genre. It's not a great gaming system. So I yeah, guess Path well, that's, Traveler is the only way to go, I guess. is my That, that, was, that, that was the, the next thing I was going to throw out there is that 
gaming systems. So you're talking about the, the nuts and bolts that make the game go from A to B. It's very hard to get past that D20 system, that DC, DC combat. What I loved about Fantasy Flight Star Wars when it came out was it kind of went against that concept and took it sort of back to the theater of the mind and, and made it so that a failure could still mean some form of success, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, I think, what was really, really, really cool about it was the dice, because the way the dice, dice were designed, you know, it, it was a still a tabletop role-playing game, but the dice made the game interesting. And one thing I always tell people with, you know, a lot of people fall into the trap of, I need to find a game that does what I want it to do, right? You know, that that's what people fall into. You know, they try to find that perfect role-playing setting. You know, Fate Dice systems, the D20 systems, the old Thaco systems, you know, all of those don't those mean are still shit. those still alive well, and well, I might add. And, and those things don't mean shit to anything because guess what? You can create your own game in your own world with your own effects using any system you want to, you know, instead of, instead of using the dice for star, I could use the core rules for star Wars and make a great sci-fi game campaign setting with it. It all depends upon how much work you want to put into it to make, you know, if you want it off the, off the shelf. So if you're looking at the concept of an off the shelf system, that you already have, you know, a deep amount of stuff for for you, then yeah, you're gonna go with a system that exists already, or create your own. You know, yeah, I think a- that goes back to goes back a little bit more closer to Chris's point originally is like finding players to buy into it. But I don't know mm-hmm. how. I mean, it may it maybe you have a great group of friends that are like, yeah, okay, let's give it a try for a little bit, where you bring the proposal of, hey, I've invented my own role playing game, let's play that. Well, I think I truly think that there's a lot of people out there that would would at least experiment with it to start, you know, and you know, put a note on the board, you know, on the board at your local game store. Hey, starting system need players, you know, uh, you know, and, and with technology today, my God, you know, with Discord itself, you create a Discord for the game. Everybody gets in. You throw all the rules up on it. You do everything, you know, on it where. You're already ahead, one step ahead where it's not, you know, 1985 again, where you had to, you know, go to the game store and sit at a table and wait or put the little card up on the board and have them call you or show up on that Wednesday night to do it, you know. And And hopefully the people who say they're going to be there are actually there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people, people could make any game they want to today in any way, shape or form if they really want to make a game and try to publish it, you know, that's where Kickstarter comes in. And I'm not a huge fan of Kickstarter anymore because I think it's ruining the gaming market, you know, but that's, that's but for providing show. Too, many, too many options. Well, that, and a lot of times they don't ever make it to retail, you know, they, they do the, it's Kickstarter. Only that Sean, it's once if once they hit retail, you just suck in retailers into buying a product. You've already sold to everyone who wanted it. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's why I think that that hurts so much. You know, you're you become limited, in my opinion, when you do Kickstarters. But I don't want to get into Kickstarters on this, Um, you know, but one of the things I also like, too, is that there's a lot of creative people out there that make a lot of good 
products, whether they do it through Kickstarter or whatever, for existing games. Like I, I bought a book of the Drow or whatever it was, you know, the Drow book. It was a limited run on what they made, and it's not a D and D product, but it's all about the Drow, you know, and Drow societies and and all of those things. One thing I will say is that if we ever run a D and D campaign again, I would like to run the campaign. But ooh, ooh, ooh. I think you're, but, if you're going to get to where I'm going, go ahead. Well, but for me, it's not going to be fifth edition per se. We'll play in the fifth edition world because that's the easiest world to play in, you know, because we could get on. What was that system we used? Roll 20. You know, you can get on roll 20 and play on that. And Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can upload all the maps and everything you want to into it. Correct. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a bunch of options you can do. Yeah, but what I would do with that is I would convert first edition into fifth edition, so that we're playing in modules and in gaming systems that are exciting. When we play Curse of Strahd, it's fun to a point, you know, because it's the design of today. We're trying to do something that they did in Adventure League, basically, and and trying to fit it into a campaign. And trying to have as much fun as we can reliving, you know, the old Strahd days way back when, you know. And to me, I would rather, and I would also limit a lot of things too. That's another thing for me, because I think for me, and this is just me, I think D&D is too broad-based now. You know, reeling everything back into the way that it was originally designed, I think, is pretty cool. You know, going back. You're talking like limiting it back down to like the number of races and classes, like races, classes, all of that type of stuff, so that you're not, you know, so I can't build a cleric that can do more damage than a freaking warrior. You know, to to me that doesn't make sense in role playing and D and D and all of that type of stuff. It just it doesn't make any sense. You know, I've seen people make rangers that can you know drop nearly drop gods in one shot you know because the system is designed for that you know it's it's actually that wide open where you can do weird things like that and you know i would you know take it back to where you're kind of playing a first edition D D with the with the dc system and the the roll 20 the the 20 sided dice system replacing Two hit armor class zero, you're changing it to the challenge system that exists today. And, you know, I still think I think you had pitched this idea a while back, and I remember pulling out my second edition rule book just to kind of refresh my memory from that. I still think that that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, but it won't be for everybody. See, you know, because people who love to level quickly, it isn't for that type of player. You know, it's it's where the challenge comes in. You know, if Roll20 allows you to make a lot of changes in leveling and class systems and all of that type of stuff, there'd be a lot of front-end work that would have to go into it before we could ever even play it. Because we would go back to the way experience points are earned in first edition. Not, oh, look at that. Rogues level up faster at 1250, whereas you actually have to get to 2000 for a wizard because it was almost like it was used as a balancing system for for characters they knew were going to get super crazy as they leveled up. Hmm, right. interesting. You know, and, and but once again, the way that I want to play it isn't for everybody, you know, especially those people that never experienced first edition, you know. So kind of. 
so kind of driving so, back to the original point on this one. So if you were looking to do a getting into a role playing game right now, something that maybe you haven't done. I think we've talked an awful lot about of our histories, which is cool, and I love going into nostalgia. I mean, about, I suppose oh. let's flip it around, Ed. Then, so sure. you, why did you buy? I'm not going to do Alien because obviously we've spoken about that a lot on the show already. Mm -hmm. We know that you I love could... Alien, but for example, um, you did Pathfinder, right? You had Pathfinder stuff. Sure right. did. Why did I buy Pathfinder? Why did okay. buy Pathfinder? So, to the simple reason for for that one, um, Pathfinder is probably the low hanging fruit on this one. At the time, that is the point in time when Wizards had switched over to Fourth Edition Dungeons and Dragons, and I do, I do have some books up on the shelf here. For fourth edition, it quickly became recognizable to me that that wasn't the type of game that I enjoyed. It wasn't the D and D for me. It was really genuinely, and I I said it at the time. I probably still believe this a little. Um, it was definitely a role playing game that was trying to capture the video gamers, uh, the World of Warcraft crowd, um, and trying to make Dungeons and Dragons more into a tabletop MMO as opposed to a role playing game. So what? Paizo did is they said, okay, we still have access to this open D20 license. Why don't we just re-release, make some changes, fix some things that we know is fundamentally broken in the 3.5 system, release it and call it Pathfinder, which is what they did. So the reason why I got into Pathfinder was because it was a return to home for me. It was a return to a gaming system that I knew, loved and enjoyed playing in as opposed to what I was doing with, with fourth edition. And Pathfinder was basically like a D&D 3.5. Well, 3.75, because if I don't know if you recall how 3rd Edition went, they did 3rd Edition for 3 years, 3.0, recognized that there were some fundamental flaws, and then re-released all of the core rulebooks, the Player's Handbook, um, Dungeons & Dragons, yep. and Monsters Manual, to adapt to that. So they, they genuinely recognized that when its original release in 3rd Edition, it was genuinely broken, and they had to fix a couple of things. So it's kind of like an errata edition. So mm -hmm. yeah, ever, the joke is that Pathfinder, the first edition of Pathfinder, because I know they're in a second edition now, uh, the first edition of Pathfinder was basically Dungeons & Dragons 3.75. Yep. So I got into that because I wanted to go home. I wanted to go back to the game that I knew. Like okay. uh, For me... Um, I bought the Anima RPG because I love the models. I, I'd seen um, some of the models at a, um, at a game show for the Anima Tactics game, and then I saw there was like a role-playing game and set in the same world. And I'd not really, I'd not really played much many role-playing games. I played some Warhammer Fantasy role-play before then, um, and I, I, I'm not massively into anime and manga and stuff like that. I've, I've watched, I've watched the classics and um, all of that kind of stuff. But I'm not probably not even all of the classics. But you know what I mean. I've, I've watched um, a bunch of anime and it's been fine. But uh, it was just some really nice models, and I was like, oh, it could be interesting. And I don't think I will ever play that system. But what I would do is I would incorporate that into a 5e setting if i was doing a homebrew thing i would steal stuff from that to drop in from that setting yeah so that's why i buy a lot of the books that i've got it's not because i plan on playing that system it's that i plan on incorporating that into other ideas so right. that's interesting that you said that because i do recall talking to greg uh post us our little run with the alien rpg one of the the criticisms i have for that is it's a good i love love the um 
genre, the, the, the universe that it has built, but I'm not a gigantic fan of the actual mechanics of the game system. It feels a little too loosey-goosey to me, to be honest. And I remember Greg coming back to me, he's like, well, then just do it in Traveler. He's like, legitimately, the, what you love about Alien isn't the game. You love the the genre, the universe that it creates. If you're looking to take that, you can literally take the traveler system. You don't have to follow the mainline storyline, just like creating your own homebrew campaign for D and D. You could just take traveler, which is also space truckers in space for the main part of the, the, the functionality of the game and incorporate that into the alien universe. And I'm like, that's actually a really good idea. He's, he's not wrong. A hundred percent of those things you can absolutely do. So I kind of get what you're saying. And the fact that like some of these books I have not necessarily because of the game itself. Like I have, I have the, there was a very, very brief run for the serenity, the, the, the firefly role-playing game. I don't know anyone that ever actually played that game, but I got the book for because I love that universe as well. And I loved reading all of the background stuff that came with it that you could obviously, I could literally pick that book up as a source book for Traveler and dump everyone into the Firefly universe if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think other than the Warhammer ones, which I feel kind of speak for themselves. I was playing a lot of Warhammer and my friends all played Warhammer. There was the always more the, chance. Were they the that, fantasy flight ones? I was just going to say original no, fantasy this is, ones. No, this is pre fun this is Black Library ones. Oh okay. I second edition, yeah. Um we didn't convert when Fantasy Flight was doing it. We carried on playing second edition. Um mainly because Fantasy Flight was really hard to find in the UK because they didn't really have a good distribution chain uh in the UK at all. So whatever. And I uh, I'm not saying that we would or wouldn't have switched, but that's kind of irrelevant. Like we were playing um the the second edition uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, Fantasy Flight's third edition, and now we're on the fourth edition one, which is Cubicle Seven, um, and we played like Dark Heresy Bats because that's what that was the games we were into, the universes we like, and that the background and lore is so rich that it was just interesting to us. But um, the main game outside of those and D and D that I've played would be Call of Cthulhu, and it's an easy system. So the reason I got Call of Cthulhu was because I like Arkham. So again, I like the setting and it was an easy system to play that was different enough that it offers something that I don't get from playing D and D. Having that percentile system is good. I'm used to it from Warhammer having um, it not be a combat oriented game is interesting. And it's very like collaborative storytelling. And that's the same kind of thing with if you play any of the current, like, I, was, I would say FFG, but it's Edge Studios games now, like the, um, the Genesis system, the uh, Star Wars, or the L5R stuff. They're all storytelling games you play with your friends. Right. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, I think there's a bunch of different things like that that are like, super valid for reasons for buying in but generally i think not many people would buy into a system for the mechanics unless you count buying 5e for its mechanics of being able to play it there's so many um 5e compatible games now yeah well it's something that you something you just said a minute ago was the 
I was looking for a game to get something different or something I'm not getting out of five E or not, not getting it. Like I want something different. And for me, yeah. that, that rings. That's one of the reasons why I generally truly did. Like, um, I think the edition that I have is the third edition. It was the one, whatever one was produced in the late nineties of, um, vampire, the, the masquerade. That is a completely different system. And it's a completely different feel. Everything about that game. It's more storytelling, but, in less combat, but the whole system was just really, it was neat to dip into the, a different pool. It wasn't even just, it, it, you left that ballpark and you came over to a completely different system using completely different dice, like everything in, and I don't know how it is now, it's been a while since I looked at World of Darkness, um, everything in there is a D10 system, and it's a number of D10s that you throw, this is the number of successes, like it was a completely different system, it felt very, very different, and it was really cool, and it was a really rich environment, I loved that too. That was kind of cool, but I got from that stuff I wasn't able to get out of D and D. There are parts to that that I wasn't able to get out of D and D. So I to- that totally rings true to me. Yeah, and yeah, it's very. Uh, in- I don't know. There's a lot of different aspects to it, but I think if I was to go out and buy a new RPG now, I would. Like, other than buying something because I I, I backed. Um, forgot what it is again now, Blade Runner. I don't think I will ever play it, but I was interested to see how they execute Blade Runner as an RPG. If, like, and again, that's also from Free League Games, correct? Yeah, it's free. I'm not, yeah, I liked Free League. I enjoyed the quality of the product. So, the, you know what I mean? Top like, notch. Top, the books are fantastic. They're beautiful. The artwork is always amazing. And they do their homework on the lore and really immersing you into the universe. But if I'm not mistaken, it's still the same mechanically, the same system. If I'm not mistaken, and I don't, I've never picked up another I one of the games. It's going to be sim- similar, but yeah, I've not played any of the other games. So maybe, I'm not maybe saying not. That there's I anything know. like, I, I feel like maybe I'm being a little bit disingenuous to freely games. I don't think there's anything wrong with their, their, their game system. There isn't. It's, it's just very, and I, I know I've drawn this analogy a hundred times already. It's role-playing, R-O-L-E, not role-playing. So, like, legitimately, it's not necessarily based on the dice. So they didn't put a lot of heavy weight into the crunch, and it was a lo- it's a lot more of the fluff. So I will guarantee you, if you're a gigantic fan of the Blade Runner universe, you're going to enjoy that book because they had done a ton of homework to immerse you into that world of the Blade Runner universe. Yeah, and that's, like, again... There's a chance that if I ran, I'm trying to think what's I I would probably run a, something set more in the 40k universe before I would run something set in the Blade Runner universe. But it doesn't yeah. mean I can't take from that system something that I like. Right. Um, the because, big I mean, thing you're not dealing with the replicants, like like. Well, I mean, you're you just know, with stuff. with Blade Runner, with Blade Runner, you have basically all of Cyberpunk. And uh, that's exactly where I was going, Sean. But, like, why couldn't there be um, some rogue mechan- dark mechanicum element that is building replicants to pass as humans? Or why couldn't there be... Uh, dark mechanicum ne- does exist. But, you know, or like, there's the... Oh, where did Lord Solar Macarius head off to? The Obviously, it's Alexander a Great wanting to continue the push kind of thing but the the eastern expanses or whatever or the eastern re- i can't remember um 
but what like there's still unknown spaces around the edges of a galaxy where okay. things could exist. Uh, like there's books about the um, one of the Kyphus Kane books has got a a machine that's producing warp corrupted Iron Men in it. Like there's so many things, uh-huh. and like. Not to mention the leagues of Votan are out there, and you got those Votan that are probably Dark Age of Technology level of AI. Just throwing that yeah. out there. But you know, yeah. there's so many different things that you can do that like limiting yourself just doesn't feel worthwhile. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a bunch of stuff like that that could be interesting, and I don't. So yeah. When when I'm walking around looking at I I see a new RPG I would say on a fortnightly basis. I'm sure I like, work where in the sentry box. Like yeah, where it, you are. We get something new. Um the things that I've bought recently, um I bought there was a, a 5e compatible like anime 5e or 5e anime something. I was like, oh, well, if I get that, I would supplement the anime tactics stuff. So if I ever did find a group who wanted to do some like um, crazy, like doing monks in 5e properly kind of uh, setting, we could play something there. Or then before, what did I buy before that would be. Um, yeah, a bunch of like 5e compatible stuff with like um a lot of the traps that I use in our thing were from like books that aren't 5e books, but but like as in are not wizards of a course books, they're just 5e compatible stuff. Right. Um but yeah, I, I kind of the my my order of priority is do I think I would like to own this and not play it? If I'm willing to do that, then I'll just buy it. Well, again, if you're buying the ne- it from the, the setting perspective or the lore perspective and you're really interested in that, then that there's nothing wrong with picking up a book just because you want to learn about the no, lore. No, but, but what I'm saying is that my, that's my order of operations is obviously I have to be willing to, because some of these books aren't cheap. We're not selling people to go out and spend like $4 on a comic book if you like the look of a story. We're telling people to go out and spend like $75, $100, $120 on a book. Like, if I'm willing to drop that money with the knowledge that I may never play it, that's okay. Like, as long as I'm willing to like, accept that. If I'm not, the next order of operation is, who's going to play this with me? Right. And yeah. if you don't have that group, you go all the way down to the bottom and you buy 5e. Yep. Like, none of the other steps of this order of operation are relevant. If you get to step two of who am I going to play this with, and you don't have names already on the tip of your tongue, you just buy, follow the arrow around that floor chart straight to buy <laughs> five. In the in the uh, Visio diagram of the flowchart, yep. Yeah. Wait, nobody to play with? Because yeah. again, like I said, I I with the exception of the starter set, I own everything that Fleet Free League has ever published for the. The Alien Universe, I th- I've got the opportunity to play it a couple of times, enjoyed it a couple of times. The oh, mm, I just wish they would get out of the damn cinematic play and do more campaign stuff. That's the one thing I think that's well, failing. That's Greg's in. point of the, uh, I don't think you can play, um, oh, sorry, the number of people you could comfortably play a campaign game of Alien with is very small. Agreed. Agreed. Because you have to be willing for your character to just be dead at the start of a three-hour session, and there's fuck all you do it like, and 
that's you can't not play that way. You can't yeah. do death or, saves and you you know resurrection and all of that. Uh, it's got to be pretty visceral. Pretty it's got to br- be like a, brutal. Yeah, a brutal experience. Like like, and I, so I I it's not that I disagree. I understand why they went the route that they went because if you're going to play in that universe, it's like playing in a movie and from the beginning to the end not everybody's going to survive to the end of the movie but there is that part of me that wants to be like okay so and i know this is going to sound stupid because this just keeps pushing me further and further into traveler i want to take the alien out of the equation for a minute and i want to know what it's like to be a marine a colonial marine and i'm going onto this planet to clear out the you know non-hospitable locals that need to be cleared up because we're making a colony. Like, I want to know what it's like in the day-to-day life of being a corporal in the Colonial Marine Corps, earning a paycheck. And, oh, like, I'm that, pretty sure but, there's a quote for you for what every day in the Corps is like. Every day is a glorious day in the Corps. <laughs> but that's that's where you present it as, hey, let's play a game of Traveler. And it just so happens to be in the... And I agree. Yep. All right, you've convinced me. I'm gonna to have to. I haven't yet to do it. I know that they republished in 2022 the uh, the core rulebook because they made some modifications and changes, and I've just avoided picking it up. I think that's going on my Santa wish list this year. Because you can do that with Star Wars. Play Star sure. Wars in the, in the Traveler universe. Well, and like even whenever West End Games lost the license uh, to Wizards of the Coast to move Star Wars over into a D20 system, which I actually did not enjoy, um, because for the same reasons I talked about before, because it was basically Dungeons and Dragons in the Star Wars universe, um, uh, West End Games did try to hang in there for a little bit, and they did D6 Space, which was the exact same system that they had done for Star Wars, except they peeled the Star Wars out of it. And that reminds me of what happened when Decipher Games lost the Star Wars license to their card game. They produced another game that literally peeled the Star Wars out of it, and somehow that took its soul with it. Like, the husk was still there, the body was still there, but it just wasn't the same after not having that 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 soul to it. So, all right. I think, I think ultimately, in the end, I just got done having a conversation to have everyone convince me, yeah, I should just start playing Traveler if I really want to play sci-fi, because I can do whatever the hell I want with it. Oh, you can do whatever you want with any system. Hey, sure. I want to play D&D. Uh, after the third adventure, you end up in space. And, you know, oh, my God, you went through a wormhole that transformed everybody into X, Y, and Z style of character. You know, everybody's this now. And you get what I mean? It's, yep. you know, it, it just all depends on what you actually want out of your game. Yep. Yeah. And um, I think you, you kind of want to budget around what you what your expectations are as well like, i think there's nothing wrong with buying like you could go out, i'm just going to use this as an example but you can go out and buy the alien starter set with a view to just running the alien starter set once you can yeah. go out and buy the call cthulhu starter set and it's got like three or four different uh scenarios in there and you could plan on running those over the course of a year as one shots and being done like if you're wanting to build a 6, 7, 12, 20, 70 year campaign, then your level of investment is going to be different. And like what you look for in those games is going to be different as well. So I think there's definitely space for just buying something for a system. Like, oh yeah, I saw XYZ, or maybe like, oh, this is a 2D20 system. I've got no idea what a 2D20 system is. I'm going to pick that up and try it. Like, you know what I mean? You just go out there and having that kind of if you've got a board game group that could become a 
a role-playing group, you know what I mean? And so playing a different one-shot every like once a month, I think, is perfectly viable. But it's just kind of it all comes down to who are you going to play it with? Yep, always. That's what it's always going to come down to. Yeah, and luckily things like Discord and the internet and all of that make it a lot more accessible. As Sean was talking about Roll Twenty, and there's um, for another one as well for Foundry or something like that. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but there's a yeah, couple there's... of really good um, accessible like, ways of playing online now that yep. make a bunch of that easier. Like, if you see something interesting, go on Reddit, search for its Discord, go on Facebook, find find those things, and there, there will be like online games of it available for you to try out and stuff like that. So, yeah, that that's my seventeen cents anyway. All fantastic advice. I mean, it's actually my 48 pence because the pound's so weak at the moment. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to go there or not. All right, I, I sold, sold the house now, man. I give zero fucks about the UK I would, economy. I was just, just going to say, your entire financial commitment to the UK is now officially gone. Yeah, I, it was funny because this is the last time it will ever be relevant. Uh, but... Like now that the the flat was sold and we're just waiting, the pound's been dropping and dropping and dropping, and we've been like in the extra week I had to wait for the solicitor to actually send me the money. It devalued even more. Oh Jesus! I, I've not not one time do I ever recall the exchange rate being the, the variance being in my favor. Like in the last nine years, it has gone up and it has gone down. Not once have I ever been on the correct side of those changes. <laughs> oh, but you know what? Fuck's given zero because I don't have to deal with that shit ever again. That's right. It is. It is not your problem anymore. All right. I think that's a good place to call the quits on this one. So, Chris, do you have any after uh, show little tidbits you want to add in in your way out the door? Um, no, mate, obviously, um, it's been going pretty well. I've been super busy, like, pretty stressed doing a bunch of stuff. Like, Ayla's eight weeks old tomorrow. Um, it's been, um, it's been a time. Uh, what's going <laughs> on? But, you know, trying to do all of the business stuff. Um, so I feel like I've been kind of falling behind on the con- I didn't actually tell you guys this. I forgot to tell the story in my flight deck. But when I painted Gar Saxon, it's like, you know what I haven't done? I've not made any content content for ages. So I'm gonna record the painting video and I'm gonna like just I'll just paint and not stream it, not do it live. I'll just record painting it and then I'll do a voiceover and condense it and just put out a this is how I painted this Gar Saxon model video and it'd be cool. You know what the key to recording a Gar Saxon painting video is? Hitting the record button. Hitting the record button, Ed. Got it in one. <laughs> oh, you know how many, so times I, how many times I stopped to hold up the paint pot to make sure it was in focus so you could see what paint I was using? And then like repositioning, because I've got OBS open on my monitor so I can see that I'm oh, not recording. So heart- and... That is so heartbreaking. Oh, yep. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so uh, that was my uh, that was last weekend or last week at some point this week. I don't know. I can't remember when I painted that motherfucker, <laughs> but it's done now. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm trying to start doing anything again. 
but there's a bunch of stuff in the background going on. So sorry. All right, we're, yeah. I'm still trying to make difficult. sure those, yeah, those like commitments are hit. But all right, it, it's all being what it is. Yeah. Uh, but I'm still around in the Discord. I'm trying to post pictures in there and like there was some good conversations and um, uh, what was the last batch of stuff people talking about? I can't remember. I'm gonna have to look it up now. But there was a bunch of posts about oh, uh, book book recommendations, isn't it? We had a good book club talk um about um reading advice for star wars books oh that's right someone did post in discord i did put my two cents in sean you'll be happy to hear this one um someone was looking they didn't care whether it was and i I think it was michael was the person who had posted this in discord um didn't particularly care if it was canon or not because acknowledging the fact that the eu does exist and while it may be defunct where was a good place to start uh picking up on star wars and of course the first words out of my mouth were the throne trilogy by timothy Mm -hmm. zahn that would be if i were to recommend to anyone anywhere on any level to pick up books outside of the star wars franchise and where to start reading those would be the first three books absolutely that i would recommend without a doubt yeah but so we're always having not always but we're never shy of having a, a good conversation in there so if you haven't joined already feel free to jump in and uh, join in and well, none of us are shy of giving our opinions as you may have guessed <laughs> not at all um i'm doing my best to build up my instagram uh, a little bit more so i've been uh, been trying to be more active on that um and as i said the, hopefully the website development will keep uh, creeping along but kind of stalled out I, I, was, I remember speaking to sean about this months ago but i had a bunch of articles that i had to reformat which is just taking a bunch of time to transfer all my old content on so it hasn't been any new written content because i've still got this guilt about not having all my old stuff on there so that i mean i might just write that shit off and just make some new stuff until i can you know find the time to sit in front of a computer for three solid days editing mm. old articles but um i haven't forgotten about anything if i have forgotten about stuff um maybe evade tokens there's probably some people who don't have evade tokens yet because i don't think i've sent um all of them out i know sean sent a bunch out for me so if you did get them that's thanks to sean if you didn't that's because i'm a shitter um so if you haven't jump on a discord and shoot me a message off um post in there that you're missing your evade tokens and i'll uh, make sure i send those out because that'll be the last batch of stuff we do under that format before we switch to um you just getting discounts and credit for stuff in the store um but yeah that's obviously for all the patreon supporters so if you want to get store credit in the uh, dice 8 store which doesn't yet exist you'll be able to uh, support us on patreon um you get early access to heresy cast and early access to bad ideas you get early access to uh, lack of focus there's uh, discussions with zach and alan about doing a legion podcast um so that would be four shows in the mix which could get um pretty busy but i'm doing my best the good thing is when i'm doing it with other people I tend to actually come through and do the work. It's when I just have myself to rely on that I, I'm only letting myself down. So it doesn't matter as much, you know? Um, but yeah, that's it. it. Do, that's... We, do we have an unlevel, a, a healthy level of competition going on with four shows? I'm, I'm on board with that. I like it. Yeah. I mean, we, I think, have we picked... 
Right, let me find a message. See if we actually finalize a name yet. So I have we have a group conversation on Discord called Dice Hate Legion question mark is the group name. Uh but we've been talking for like two weeks now, just bouncing around different names. So what, what Clone Force ninety nine? Uh, I feel like that might <laughs> uh from Alan. Um uh, so this one was was it went over my head. It was far too deep for me. But Zach suggested uh, Zionocast because the guy from Resistance is called Kaz uh, Kaziona, uh, whatever X I O N O. But Kaz is obviously an acronym of Chris for K, A for Alan, and Z for Zach. Mm, I, 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 I missed that completely. It went over my head. Uh, and I was like, well, it's not in Legion, no, so we can't have that. So um, it made me feel stupid, so we never have to look at it again. <laughs> um, what else did we have? Um, uh, we had, uh, I, I suggested impact free, because impact's a key word and it'd be free of us. Um, and then they pointed out that well, was critical X has already been used. So someone's already done a keyword from Legion as a name for a podcast. Like, oh, it's a bit yeah. too close. But yeah, all these flash in the pan podcasts. Who would do that other than us? Obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think we're looking at maybe. I said we we should probably just jump on a call and like have a chat and see if we actually all have any level of chemistry to be able to chat. Because obviously, I did D and D with Alan for what felt like eternity. I mean, two years. Um, it, and I've done good podcasts years, with Zach as well, so uh, that should be fine. But we'll, we never know until the three of us get on a call and, you know, blast it out. So but that'll be interesting because I'd be the least experienced person. So, you know, I wouldn't be the one carrying the conversation. It'd be awesome. It'd be nice. Kind of sit back and relax. Yeah. Excited. Um, but yeah, so that's what we've got in the works at the moment. If you've got any other ideas, questions, just jump on the Discord or you can... Um, Shoot us an email, contact through a website, hit us up on Facebook, you know, all the things. Well, I will say my guys then. Sean, always good talking to you, my friend. Yep, always good to be here. Chris, pleasure as always. Yep, always good to be here. So next one, who's up next? Chris, you're uh, the... I am, I am. Oh, it's a Sean episode next. Any ideas or previews or do you want to hold off? Um, I'll throw it out there later in the week. So okay. Oh. a chance. Oh, surprises. <laughs> The prize uh, like... not, I, I have like three things I want to talk about, but I haven't decided on which one yet. Gotcha. Okay. Right, well, I'll stop recording if, if Sean's not going to spoil it. All right. All right. Yeah. Thank you for everyone for tuning in, and we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to a Lack of Focus podcast brought to you by Dice Hate Productions.